every Friday night after the League of Ireland games, a place for you to come to give your opinion to vent. There's a little button down on the left-hand corner where you can say that you want to talk. Catch League of Ireland late night, Friday nights at 10 on Twitter Spaces. Follow at Off The Ball. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Half past seven, OTBAM, you're very welcome along. Uh, I'm here. Owen is there. How are you, Owen? How are you, Adrian? Good Come morning. On, just when you uh, just when you had us in, then you disappear out of studio again, just like that, Owen. Yes, indeed. Uh, it, it's uh, elusive. I think is is the phrase. Elusive. It's definitely something I, I would apply to. You're in uh, Kerry, deepest darkest Kerry. Yeah, yeah. If you want to get down for a weekend now, and you want to save petrol, you got to drive slowly, according to Eamon Ryan. So that's why I uh, set out a day early than I usually would. I didn't see that. That's up there with his lettuce. Scroll your lettuce on your um, on your window ledge. Apparently, it's true. Apparently, it, it is true that if you do drive slower, you do save petrol. That uh, I've heard people. Uh, this is just anecdotal evidence that they would like set the cruise control at like 110 kilometers per hour on the motorway because that's the sweet spot. Uh, going any faster than that, you may burn extra fuel. So these are all the tips that you need nowadays. Other uh, driving recommendations coming your way after 8 o'clock this morning. It's the perfect access point for Kerry, uh, where you're at, for Tralee and Killarney. Am I right? Sort of halfway? Yeah, slap bang in the middle. And what um, game is in Tralee this weekend? It is. What's your... I mean, the obvious answer is Killarney, right? But like, what's the... What's the real answer behind that in terms of going to games? Have you a uh, favourite between the two? or? Well, they're, they're very different. Tralee spells cold, winterish nights in February and March where you can have these incredible atmospheres on a Saturday night uh, where Dublin come down and Mayo come down and the games are invariably brilliant despite the conditions. Killarney spells July. Cork are in town. You do have 30,000 people milling around uh, uh, Lewis Road and there's unbelievable festival feeling in the middle of summer. We haven't really got that in championship ever until 2019, really, when Mayo got the Cork experience coming down and getting to contribute to a, a sold out 30 something thousand um, uh, capacity stadium at the at the time. So uh, they're very different things. One spells winter, one spells summer. And thankfully, uh, the summer theme isn't just involving one county now. That will change as we go into proposal green, I guess, next year and hopefully further changes down the line. Mm. Is there always a way to bring it back to proposals? Is there a tension between the two of them, like, or in terms of getting games, or is it just a case of uh, truly we'll fire you a couple of games and you'll be happy with it? No, there definitely is, but like, truly is much smaller ground, and it just makes sense for these games to be played there. There's a far better atmosphere. The crowd that will be in Tralee tomorrow night will get lost in Killarney if the game has moved there. If it was a Sunday game, though, the game would be played in Killarney like they played the Sunday game there against Donegal a few weeks ago. They'll be playing Tyrone in Killarney in a few weeks' time. And Killarney does tend to get a couple of league games. But the biggest ones, I guess this is to do with television rights as well, mm. uh, tend to go to Tralee because it's a Saturday night game and uh, there are no floodlights in Killarney. So that's the key point here, actually, that uh, if the game is under lights, uh, it has to be played it has in Tralee. Although it has got the, the occasional Sunday afternoon game in the league. You would think a county ground at a county to significance carry would be able to do that. That's uh, that's a political minefield now that uh, I'm actually just not equipped to take it into. The <laughs> right. county board don't actually own the ground and I'm not sure, do they necessarily wants to put floodlights in there because of the fact that there is a floodlights in the ground that they do own. Yeah. Um, and, they, you know, they, like, might, they might not, you know, they've been there for 150 years, but like, you don't know what happens in the next couple of years. Is that the, is that the thinking? Uh, possibly. I, I don't know. Like, it, it, it does confuse people that there is no lights in, in Clarion. And one time, actually, 
2015 uh, Monster final replay. I think uh, the, despite it being in the middle of summer, the replay almost got caught in darkness uh, because it was, I think, a five o'clock throw in and it was a very grey evening. And I remember the, I think we actually had the game live on, on, on radio that night. And I can remember maybe Dave McIntyre was commentating and it was just like, I can barely, I can, it's, we're struggling to see what's going on here. So they, they almost did get caught once with the lack of floodlights, even though the game was obviously happening in the middle of the summer. Speaking of political minefields, Fergus Kyo uh, on YouTube is just dropped in a question here. He says, so, Owen is in Farm 4. <laughs> well, I mean, Fergus, that is, that is an ecumenical matter, right? Thankfully, it's such a metropolis that uh, it doesn't really narrow it down too much. No, it doesn't. Yeah. And also, it's weird because the club is in Farm 4. Isn't that right? And then it's just bizarre. The whole thing is, you wouldn't... I, we've, we spent, we dedicated a half hour to this last year. I'm still none the wiser about what the hell... the club ground for that parish is doing an entirely different parish makes no sense at all I'm, the thing that makes no sense to me is how we didn't win some sort of reward for that half an hour of chat <laughs> that time that was really good quality stuff uh, Kumir what is uh, is there a bit of a bu- like I don't, don't, don't do your usual thing now playing this down but is there a bit of a buzz building like the Monaghan game and the few players coming in and and like the gentle easing into the business end of the season is there a bit of a I don't buzz sounds like I'm trying to overhype what's going on but is there is the chatter beginning to build up a little bit yeah definitely I think there's been a buzz for the last few years to be fair like I think most people who uh, paid attention last year will know that there was a lot of buzz last year there was probably a bit of buzz the year before and the year before that so I think uh, every year since the start of 2019 uh, there's been uh, there's been hype no question about it this is it. like talking to uh, somebody who's actually involved in the inside listen there's always a buzz around Kerry and you know there it's right like, I mean what, what else what else is, like what else are you expecting me to say like I mean there, the, why is why is, do you think that it's different this year come on give, give me the give me the evidence for why it's different in, this year in the sense that I there's a re- hope a renewed optimism for most counties right give and the landscape has really flattened out and you know particularly from a Kerry point of view you've a few debuts the other weekend uh, Monhead are one of those teams that are uh, been spoken about obviously as I mean I don't know how realistic it is but they're certainly in the conversation about uh, been in the mix to win in All-Ireland um, so yeah like that sort of stuff like like there, there is there's always this disparity that I constantly go back to in our conversations about GEA for the haves and the have-nots if a team like the likes of where I'm from or the vast majority of other teams are on the back of putting together a run of a few games the buzz tends to get going pretty quickly now it gets burst pretty quickly as well but yeah just on from, from that basis really but, but that's exactly my point look at their form at this that time of the year over the last few years uh, and look at the fact that it is Kerry the most successful county in Gaelic football history nobody really unless they were maybe talking to you in kind of overtures would suggest that they weren't a contender at the start of the year for the last few years every even when Dublin were at their best yeah. Kerry would have felt that they were a contender I'd say Mayo people probably felt the same way after they came close a couple of times there was there was none of this notion of you know oh we have to, to bow down to the greatest team of all time there's going to be no no chance of, of, of this team winning in All-Ireland of course there is there, there's a quiet confidence every single year and the buzz is, is massive this year and it has been ever since uh, the likes of David Clifford and Sean O'Shea have come through it was like right this is the, the end of the transition once this team comes good or once this team matures they will hopefully win a, a, a good few trophies. And that hasn't happened yet. So 
uh, I think that th- this year they're, they're, they're probably ready to do so. But like being ready and actually doing it are two different things entirely. There's like it's 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 by a distance the biggest sport here. Like there's no it is the only thing people will talk about. It'll be the only thing people will be talking about for the next 72 hours. And once a championship kicks into gear, it'll go to a whole other level. Like li- listen to James Dunne on the football pod. He he like he was saying that he he can somehow get away with it in in Killarney, but he feels sorry for the lads out in West Kerry who are just completely engulfed in it come the summertime. It it will be all people are talking about. So I'm not yarrowing it away. I'm just saying it is literally a fanatical uh, relationship that exists all the time, regardless of how how much the bookies favour them or not. Yeah, and on that note, like Mayo coming to town, it's... I was looking at the odds last night. The Tyrone are surprisingly either third or fourth favourite, something like that, which I took me I took me a bit surprised a little bit, I have to say. But both of them... Like the, these are the real contenders, obviously that everybody's speaking about. It gives it gives uh, an extra level of significance, does it, to the game tomorrow night? I definitely think so. I think that there is, like, I mean, we can get away, I guess, way ahead of ourselves right now, and I, I fully expect to look completely stupid uh, later on in the year. But this has the potential to be the first of a trilogy, and we were we actually did, in fairness, have that conversation with Colin Boyle yesterday in the show, where it could be here on Saturday, it could be Dublin at the start of April, and it could be Dublin again uh, in the summertime for for these two teams to, to meet. So it, it could be a double Croke Park matchup after Saturday. So there is a feeling that these two teams, because they're on opposite sides of the All Ireland draw, could be the All Ireland finalists as well this year everybody in Ulster is like what What are you talking about because mm. they've got such a, a collection of great teams who come through and there's probably a few diehard Dublin fans who, who think that there is a, a blue wave coming this year but if I had to call it now and I accept it I would look stupid because I never get anything right uh, I, I, if I had to call it now I think that we might be seeing a, a preview of an All-Ireland final on Saturday alright Wow. Cue a Tyrone Dublin final, everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the Tyrone part of that, you certainly couldn't write out. I did, I mean, Dublin would be a Spartan, uh, it, it, wouldn't it? I mean, that, it's, it, I don't think that's um, on anybody's radar necessarily. Uh, the Mayo bit is as, as another one that's sort of um, not quite coming out of nowhere, but like suddenly they're very live contenders. We'll have the quick picks coming up in a little bit and we'll um, we'll chat a bit about that in a bit more detail. The other thing, obviously, it's the weekend of an Ireland-England game, which um, is just an incredible thing. And I have to say, having been to a stack of games, cover matches at Twickenham Six Nations games, it's probably my favourite Six Nations experience to go out there. It's once you get off the train and the atmosphere that it builds around the game, the hot dog sellers, the beer sellers, everybody packs the streets around. It's a little bit like going to the Aviva and it's a little bit like been around there in the sense that like when you're in the middle of London people always say Six Nations get lo- gets lost in London or gets lost in Paris or whatever but that's not really the case because actually once you get off the train out there it's the only thing it's a sea of green and the um, there's a real I just slightly bizarre and I, I remember the first few games going over there it definitely took me a little bit by surprise but there is a real camaraderie as well between the fans like there's obviously a really healthy rivalry and particularly once you get inside the stadium it tends to ramp up but I, geez, I remember been out there, I think it might have been after, it might have been was it 2004 um, after obviously England have been world champions and I think that was the year that we beat them, was that the Shane Horgan trying the corner mm. uh, and been at that game and coming out afterwards and the, um, all you could hear was congratulations from the England fans, now maybe that's, maybe they can do that when they've got the World Cup in their back pocket and it doesn't really mean as much to them as it definitely meant to us that day but it's just a, it's a really special 
place to be on uh, Six Nations weekend. I'm hugely envious of people who are headed over there this weekend, uh, particularly in light of everything that's gone on over the last couple of years. But it did, I was interested reading Clive Woodward's piece in the Irish Daily Mail this morning about what a uh, missed opportunity England have had by uh, not keeping Andy Farrell and Mike Cat involved in the game this weekend. And it struck me that the two people who want Ireland to win most at Twickenham this weekend are two Englishmen. And I'd probably add in a third on Don and Limerick uh, watching on because he was the third, uh, one of the other members of that coaching um, staff, obviously, in Graham Rowntree. So they'll be really... Uh, it, it, I, I can easily see how, like, this is... Uh, Woodward makes some good points about it being the fruition of... Uh, Andy Farrell's labours over the last couple of years and, you know, he's he's shed the cloak of Joe Schmidt at this stage, well and truly, and it's his game plan and it's his team and um, there's a good mix of the young and the old, but there'll be nobody, I don't think, um, more than the three of them wanting Ireland to win this weekend. Like It's, it's a good point. Uh, it, they don't uh, strike me as a particularly vindictive bunch. I, I will say that. It doesn't feel like Andy Farrell or Stuart Lagencaster really are these sort of people who would be licking their chops at the prospect of Ireland winning this weekend. It kind of feels like bygones are bygones and uh, they're happy enough to leave that in the past. But one thing you can't deny is that the past was pretty poisonous. And just kind of brushing up on some of the details this morning, uh, Johnny Waterson was obviously at the, um, the, the, post, the post-mortem, I guess, with Andy Farrell after they got knocked out of the 2015 World Cup at home. I didn't quite realise how much of it was actually blamed on Andy Farrell. I really kind of saw Lancaster as the scapegoat mm-hmm. and uh, Andy Farrell kind of, you know, as, as somebody in, in the backroom team didn't really ship as much blame. But he was, he was blamed quite a bit. There was uh, an allegation that uh, he really pushed for the Sam Burgess inclusion uh, over Luther Burrell at the time. Like, I mean, I couldn't, I could not tell you that it was Luther Burrell who missed out on that squad for Sam Burgess. What a difference that would have made to that year's World Cup had uh, Luther Burrell come in uh, instead of Sam Burgess. But uh, it, w- it was alleged that because, you know, his, his uh, rugby league uh, interests and background. It was him who, who brought Burgess into the team. And Burgess, if, if you wanted to pick one player who was capable for that World Cup, he's your guy. And then, of course, there was a situation with, with Owen Farrell. And I can't believe this is even uh, a thing, but uh, there was some criticism over uh, nepotism and Owen Farrell being in the out-half position ahead of Tom Ford. And, I mean, like he, he, he says... Yeah, bring, bringing, like, just to quote from the piece, bringing your son back for Wales. Was there a, contra- a conflict of interest there? He was then asked. Come on, answered Farrell. The equally adamant retort from the floor from a journalist was that Farrell would have to have a heart of stone to not have a conflict of interest. Uh, I think I've answered that, he says. The head coach makes the final decision, and that's that. It's like he, he shipped a lot of blame at that point. He obviously fronted up and, and took questions from rugby journalists after that point. And we all know what, what happened then, that they, they essentially all get, get exiles. And there have been these stories that pop up every so often about Lancaster getting lured back to England or, or Farrell potentially doing the same. Nothing has ever been uh, concrete, though. And I wonder if that was put in front of them in two years' time or, or whatever it may be, would they be tempted to go? Uh, I'm not sure if, if the wounds have healed that much. What do you mean? What do you mean if they'd be tempted to go? As in, if uh, the RFU were like, we made a terrible mistake. You guys have really proved yourself over in the Emerald Isle. Come back, come back home. 
um, because that there were, there have been obviously suggestions that that might have been the case, but nothing concrete. And Stuart Lancaster, I think, has been asked about this multiple times in the past, and I, I don't think he's, I think he's actually said that he, he never hasn't even been in contact with the RFU. But it's a natural leap when people start to get itchy feet about Eddie Jones, mm-hmm. who would succeed Eddie Jones. And there's a couple of Englishmen doing a pretty good job, not too far from home. I think that um, the point about missing the miss I think you can make this case for Lancaster by the way but it's a different conversation I think there's definitely a case that like Farrell was two years into assistant at Saracens Cat was four years into attack coach I think at London Irish Roundtree had been in England for seven years like there was there was a definite case and look at like selection issues notwithstanding although the lunacy of whether Owen Farrell was nepotism is uh, tells you more about the um, the media over there I suppose than it does about Andy Farrell uh they, they were young. They were young in their career. They were obviously uh, operating under a different head coach. Like it was definitely. I know that's that's obviously in hindsight that that's all very easy. But at the time, it was they they uh, they were probably responding to a lot of that media criticism. I actually think that it's inevitable on that um, they'll end up. And I don't mean I don't mean that they'll want to win in Twickenham uh, tomorrow from a. Um, sort of two fingers up to everybody's point of view it's more right. definitely in that kind of coming back and you guys missed a trick with us I think in a very determined uh, sort of a way in in a way that I think it's inevitable uh, and I'm not I wouldn't be in the slightest bit critical of them for it it's inevitable that they end up almost they'll definitely end up back in the English game it's nearly inevitable that they'll end up involved with England again down the track like they're still two uh, young men in terms of their coaching prowess as you say every game that goes by every year that goes past their um, stature is growing in the game and I do think they will be sought after and it's inevitable that they would want to go back to coach with England because that's where they're from and it would be inevitable that they want to go and catch coach with England because there's unfinished business yeah, I like I I I think you can never say never with, with this sort of thing. I don't see it happening in the, the short term. I I I I'd be surprised if Eddie Jones was England head coach at the start of 2024, put it that way. I think that maybe is it going to be an end of of a World Cup cycle job with him and then maybe they look for a clean break. And look, a lot a lot of things can happen mm. in the, the space of those two years to, to change things. I definitely think on the Lancaster side of things that there is this honesty about the fact that a lot of his his family are in England, and I mean it, it's not ideal that he's he's not working there. But at the same time, I, I do think that there, there there is a situation where he he's got a, a real sense of purpose with, with Leinster, one of the, the European contenders, and he knows the pressures that that top job in England brings. So I'm not convinced. I'm not sure if it's as such a, a sure thing as you're painting there. And when it comes to Andy Farrell, I mean, I mean, he's, he's basically Irish at this point, isn't he? I think that, uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, going, going home, what is going home to, to Andy Farrell? I mean, uh, half his family is, is Irish at this point. So look, it's, I, I, I'm not convinced uh, to be honest with you that, that, that the return will happen. And we've got to accept that there is two sides to this coin as well, that the RFU, despite the evidence in front of their eyes, would they go back to the same ticket uh, that uh, supposedly uh, wreaked havoc on their 2015 World Cup chances? Yeah, I think yes is the answer to that. Um, and we, we will see what happens on the track. But as you say, he's, he's and they are Irish for now on. And if they win the World Cup, they can do whatever the hell they want after that. Even, <laughs> even go back to England, God forbid. Now, O2AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's coming up on 10 to 8. 
Here's what's coming up on the show for you this morning between now and uh, 10 a.m. We're going to get stuck into our GEA quick picks in a couple of moments' time. The lads on standby there. Alan Quinlan will give us a lot more detail on the Ireland selection for that game and um, what it means to play England as well. That's just after 8 this morning. Daniel Harris will join us. An interesting week in the world of football, of course, and uh, lots of fallout in relation to Manchester United as well, so plenty to get stuck into there. Uh, London GEA, Ashling is over for the game this weekend and she's been out training last night. Uh, one of the big stories, really, in the world of GEA uh, over the last couple of months, so we'll get a bit of a sense of exactly what's going on uh, behind the um, uh, door there at London GEA for you a little later on. Johnny Courtney, there's a new uh, Republic of Ireland jersey launching this morning, and uh, we've had a look at it, and it looks good. And Johnny Courtney is behind the company JACC, uh, who uh, are responsible for putting that jersey together and we will get his thoughts on how it all comes together um, and what the early reaction is to it as well. We'll have a live crappy quiz. It's myself versus Jer versus Phil, I believe. And uh, there's only one way that can go if it follows form, let's face it. And then Philippe O'Claire, who was on the football show last night talking to the lads about the fallout of events at Chelsea, of course. And that is at half past nine this morning. So that is what's lined up for you. Do keep the comments coming into us uh, between now and ten this morning. But right now, it's time for the GA Quick Picks. Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. All right, well, Tommy, good morning to you. Morning, lads. Morning, Morning, lads. Tommy's excited. He's buzzing. Big one this weekend, Tommy. Massive. Yeah. We're all set to go in Navin. Big game. The only game that matters this weekend. Up in Bruce Hill. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Buzzing. Yeah, are you going yourself? No. Uh, let's. I, have, we, <laughs> have we got any? Uh, have we got any sense of how this madness is going? Have we got any table of what the latest? Let's not linger too much on that. Owns ahead and everything else. We don't need to worry about. Right on to the quick picks for this weekend. Mm. We're going to kick off with our ma uh, Kildare and um, listen. Let's put it on the record. Kildare have done exceptionally well. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> They've done exceptionally well. They've that been exceptional so players, haven't they? I mean, um, and a win in this game kills any relegation threat for them. And listen, let's just all accept that. And they might need it here, given some of the fixtures that are upcoming for them. But uh, let's acknowledge that they've done exceptionally well and that they have a real shake against Arma. I'm giving them a real check. I'm going for Arma. We're all going for Arma, according to the graphic. And uh, logic says Arma, Tommy. Logic does say Arma, Adrian, but I've noticed a trend when I've gone back through the scores for the quick picks. You can see you're on 35% and I'm on 50 odd percent. Anytime myself and yourself have gone against the grain and we've picked the same, a different team than the others, um, it hasn't gone very well for us. So mm-hmm. I think often it's, a grain it's safety, of sand, Tommy. I, I don't mind saying safety in numbers here, Adrian, is what I'm thinking. Um, I feel like Arma. Not that they took the foot off the gas against Mayo last week, but they, they, they took a couple of chances. They played Eden Rafferty and Golds, who is a midfielder slash half forward. Uh, that seemed to work. It was, it was an interesting experiment by McGinney and it's probably an option for down the line if they needed it at any, at any stage. They possibly should have beaten Mayo, but Mayo had taken a couple of chances to play a few kids that day as well. Frank Irwin got his debut. Sam Callanan, who still didn't his leaving cert started. He brought on some serious stars off the bench that day. Real, real strong footballers off the bench. It's noticeably a stronger Mayo team that we might get to in a minute. I just feel like 
on form, Armagh are flying. Kildare are doing really well. It's going to be a really good game, really competitive. I think Kildare might need to, to dig out a win from their last two games to be able to stay up here. I'm not sure they're going to get it above an Armagh. The, yeah. the Newbridge factor is massive for Kildare. And while you may have been a bit of a doubter, a few of us were calling Kildare to beat Dublin. I definitely was anyway, from very early on in Newbridge in the league this year. So Newbridge factor is massive. I think Armagh are winning this one. Yeah. You don't, I, get, you don't get extra points for calling it before the week of it, Tommy. That was more I, I would argue and like look at I've got the shovel out admittedly that that was more to do with Dublin than it was to do with Kildare but that's just my view on it that, go on on yeah well I was just going to say you're, you're talking about Andy Farrell and uh, his kind of determination to, to prove England wrong this weekend is there going to be a similar sense with Kieran McGeady this weekend looking to, to prove Kildare wrong you know that fateful night where he lost his managerial role by a single vote like there might be a bit of that uh, but I think what's closer to home is that I think Kildare can look at Armagh and look at the one that got away and say to themselves, how do we learn from this? And I think that one of the big things that people can learn from what Kieran McGinney has done so far at Armagh is how long it has taken him to get to this point. Like, I mean, he is one of the longest serving managers in inter-county football. For a while, it looked like they wouldn't be able to pick out a meaningful win at all. And now all of a sudden, they're holding their own in Division 1. It has been slow progress, but it has been progress. And I think a lot of people know how quickly you can start going backwards in Gaelic games. So I think Kildare, they're onto a really good management ticket at the moment. There will probably be setbacks, but I think they can look at our man and say, listen, you kind of... Uh, ride those out and you'd probably reach a, a higher plane over the course of the next three, four or five years. Yeah, and just on that logic logic point, Will, finally on that one, the like Kildare are double the odds of um, Armagh to win this, to win the All-Ireland, right? I mean, neither are going to win it, but I'm just trying to give a bit of context to the logic point. Neither can win it. Just before Will jumps in there, Adrian, that's a dangerous, dangerous, uh, dangerous I, d- line sorry, to throw sorry, out this sorry. year. Hang this on year, Adrian, that's dangerous. You're, I mean, I'll give you a little bit of, of a conversation about Armagh, but you're surely not talking about Kildare winning the All Ireland. No, I'm not talking about Kildare, but Armagh, Armagh are definitely in that mini group of bolters that could come from nowhere and do something this year. Because, could, but I can't see them winning it. I'm not saying they're going to win the All Ireland, but didn't you say a few weeks ago that Longford definitely wouldn't beat Westmeath? Move on, well, move on. Next, <laughs> next topic. I still have a stream of Longford people in my timeline that I need to get back to. Right. It, look, it does feel like maybe the break came at a bad time for Kildare. They're one of the teams that would have probably fancied having a game straight off the back of beating Dublin and Newbridge. Mm. But look, we've had some very entertaining games with Armagh, particularly at home. Thinking back about that Armagh Monaghan game a few weeks ago as well. So I'm hoping it's kind of somewhere in that round that, you know, Kildare can really push them. Kildare have to take some heart as well from the fact that they went up to Oma, albeit against the Toronto team who were missing some of their frontline players, but still probably should have won that game as well. Just when we talk about, you know, the factor of Newbridge and how important home advantage is, you know, They've gone to the home of the All-Ireland Champions and given them a right rattle this year already. I think, look, in fairness, Armagh didn't lose a whole lot in defeat last time out before the break. And they have, as Tommy said, been in really good form. They beat Dublin at Crow Park this year. They probably should have beat Monaghan that night as well. And this will just... It's one of those things. Kildare is scrapping for their lives. And they're going to go up and give this a right good fight. But I think Armagh probably by two or three points. Okay. Kerry, Mayo, let's see. What have we got... <laughs> podcast listeners uh, Tommy, Will and myself have gone for Kerry and Owen has gone for Mayo Peak Yara Peak Yara Not at all Not at all So uh, this one was going to be I, I changed my prediction 
last minute, uh, Joe Conroy, who puts uh, our beautiful graphics together, will be able to tell you that. So I had this down as a tight one anyway. Uh, you know, Kerry missing potentially half of their starting backs this weekend anyway. Paul Murphy, Dan Dunne, who Gavin White probably not going to play. Uh, I still thought that even in that context, they would have had enough. But my sources say that there is going to be a big piece of team news before the ball is thrown in. And the piece of team news is so Ooh. significant that it has swung the game in Mayo's favour in my Hold opinion. on. Hold on a second here, Owen. I'm planning to drive down to Tralee on Saturday to watch this game. Should I not bother going if David Clifford isn't going to be there? I cannot comment. I, I cannot, cannot confirm comment. or deny. Blink <laughs> well, twice, Owen. If Blink twice if, if Clifford is not, not starting. Be, if it's Clifford, if it's David Clifford or Sean O'Shea, maybe just drop me a text early on Saturday. Yeah, it's Clifford. Know. It's got to be Clifford, Tommy. He's not, he's not giving this build-up. I mean, it's going to Sean O'Shea's... I will happily dro- I will happily drop you a text after the show, Tommy. The reason why I don't want to say it now is because I don't want to uh, poison the people of Ireland with fake news. I will happily okay. mess up next week, even if I'm wrong, even if my information was wrong. But in the build-up, okay. yeah, I don't well, want to put it I, I think, I'm given your, your insider trading, I think we should all be given a you know late opportunity to change our prediction based on your insider trading here. Because no, I think you, that you've got to go do work, go do your journalism, be- go do your the, thinking there, yourself. There, there is a big case for Mayo here. Like I was thinking, sort of regardless of that, but Tommy touched on a bit earlier on Will just with the players that are coming back in there they've blooded some young players like they've been I was going to say quietly going about their business the job that James Horan is doing there to put them in an even stronger position keeping Ushin Mullen the young players they've blooded you look at the quality player that's coming back in for this weekend like we're including the conversation about this weekend but in the bigger picture the job that's going on there quietly is um, puts them really in the frame doesn't it for later in the year yeah, look, they're in the frame to qualify for a league final as well, particularly if they were to pick up a win on Saturday night. I'm a bit disappointed if Clifford is out because I was looking forward to see who Mayo were going to detail on him because Ushi Mullen is named to start as right wing back, I think, in the team that was released yesterday. And I was wondering if Mullen was going to pick Clifford up. But uh, Owen has definitely heavily hinted to the fact that David Clifford won't be playing and then Sean O'Shea won't. Well, the two lads are texting don't about it there to now. The conclusion. Don't be rushing to the conclusion about the news, please. Because if, if you're saying that, you, you are... Uh, you are you are uh, suspected to be spreading fake information. <laughs> <laughs> please stop talking about David Clifford not playing. That's what no. you want to say. The two lads are texting each other there, Will. You can see the smiles and the eyes going. It's, uh, no, like, no, wait, no, 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 no. This clip is probably going to go horrifically wrong if it goes online now and then David Clifford <laughs> plays tomorrow. I, I think... Rumours aside, I think the middle third is going to be a fascinating battle in this game. I think, as, as Adrian alluded to there, some players are back that you call heavy hitters. Aidan O'Shea is starting to centre forward. Dylan O'Connor is one of the most informed players in the country. He's been unbelievable the last couple of weeks. Ruan and Flynn are going to, it's going to be interesting to see how they get on in midfield against Kerry's duo. Who do you think is, is going to play in midfield? Is it going to be Jack Barry, Jim O'Connor? Is Adrian Splang going to start as well, Owen? You'd expect yeah. a bigger, a bigger unit than, you know, we saw against Kildare. It was three lads around five foot eight, five foot nine on that half forward line and they suffered because of it. You can't imagine they'd do that again this weekend against Mayo. No, they've completely changed it, haven't they? Adrian Splang going into the half forward line and uh, having to... It's, it's, what happened there was, uh, uh, wasn't it the Nigel lads weren't available that week so you had Splang yes. coming back to midfield. So, uh, yes, the three lads you, you mentioned there, they're all... Um, bankers to start at the moment. It'd be interesting to see how that actually forms once Gavin White is back because I think that he could be an option in midfield and obviously when David Moran is back. Uh, but that half forward line is bigger now. Adrian Spillan has been the sort of uh, under the radar Kerry star of uh, 2022 so far. Um, Shane on YouTube is wondering if I was the only person who picked Sligo against Cavan last week and I'm pretty sure that was uh, that was true I got double yarrowed, oh, yeah. yarrowed by the um, Sligo lads <laughs> in the office. Uh, well to be fair the, the, I think the problem you had there was you didn't change your pick. 
I changed my pick. Oh, after that, the that fact? Week off, that week off. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, the week yeah, off, yeah. the original picture. I think no, you just got like to reassess. I like to form an opinion, Tommy, and stick with it no matter what. All, all prevailing factors thereafter. <laughs> uh, Tyrone Dublin. What have we got? Surely it's all sweep, clean sweep, and it is. Um, very little case to be made for, for Dublin, uh, Will, other than that there has to be a response at some point or another. I see Fitzmaurice was saying this week that um, if they could just fix... Now, look, at he's saying if they could just fix their kickouts, everything would be just about right. And I see Kieran Whelan saying this morning, if they could just start to score a few goals, everything would be just about right. There's a lot of ifs. Both reasonably fundamental points to the way that a team would play the, play the game as well, Adrian. Um, I think we'll sort out how we get primary possession from our own kick-out and put the ball in the net. Look, the, obviously scoring and creating goal chances have been an issue throughout. Um, certainly plenty of, again, if we're in the realm of rumours, that McCarthy might actually start for Dublin this week and also yeah. the speculation he might be their captain for this season. So obviously that would be a big boost. Like We're kind of waiting for McCarthy and Con to come back into mm. the team. And the feeling would be that when they come back in, this might just raise the level up a little bit because, you know, those who've been around for a while have been struggling for form a little bit. That has been an issue in these first four games or so that we've seen from Dublin. You're kind of wondering when it will click. Like we, at the start of the year, we kind of wrote off the Armagh results to a certain extent and went, don't worry, ah, it'll be fine. Then they'll go to Newbridge. Newbridge is going to inspire a performance out of them. And in fairness, they weren't actually that far. I know Tommy was at the game behind Kildare that day. I remember watching it in the studio. Um, the Highland goal really was the difference maker when it came to the fixture itself. And mm. like we could be, potentially, we might actually overwrite Dublin's demise a little bit here. That there is going to be a week when it will click, Adrian. And it could well be this time around. Like if Tyrone play like they did in the first half against Kildare and Dublin raised their level by a few percent, we're talking about this game being very tight this yeah. weekend. I just, I, I can't go by the evidence that Dublin are just going to flick a switch though and actually come back to form straight away. It yeah. could still be a few more games and a couple of players coming back before they actually get back to that level again. Well, one thing on this, the goals are a massive factor. They should have had three goals against Kildare. Like, there were nearly three freaks that the Kildare lads stopped those goals. There were three goal line chances. Um, they should have had one. So that's one to keep an eye on this weekend. Down awfully. We'll just rattle through this one. Uh, what way are we going? Down across the board and it'll be tight. I think these last two are definitely going to be tight. And Meath Cork. Ah, Will. We're all gone Meath and Will is... Um, I'm seeing... Oh, it- Adrian, it's worth watching out this one. These Division 2 games, we've had draws already. Yeah. And remember that no, no. particularly these two games that we're trying to predict in Division 2 are actually relegation four-pointers, where mm. in all likelihood they're going to be incredibly close. Like, on the down-Offley game, Offley scored 3-10 away from home against Galway last week, a Galway team who've been much vaunted and people have been talking about them going to Division 1. Offley have gone for a defensive system, but showed a little bit on the counter-attack last week, which maybe wasn't there before. Probably should have beaten Meath, but for a controversial goal late in the game. So, it's one of those. Both of these games are going to be really, really scrappy. I think Down definitely come through against Offley. It's no surprise we've gone across the board there. But... Cork against me is going to be so, so close. Like, that's, I think there's value in a draw here, genuinely. Tommy, last word. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a performance coming out of Mead. They're at home. They've got the Division 2 status on the table here. It's massive. I think there's going to be something coming out of Mead. I just think the home factor is so, 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 so big when it comes to the league. Um, I think Will is right. It's going to be very tight. And Mead, I, I take a draw. But uh, I think there's going to be a win coming out of me this weekend. Take a drop. Right, that's it for the quick picks. I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable.
All right, it's uh, four minutes past eight. You're watching RTBAM. We've packed show still to come here. Uh, we're going to be talking football with Daniel Harris very shortly. We're crossing over to Ashling O'Reilly, who's in London ahead of the rugby this weekend, but she's been out to the London GEA training last night. Up next, it's Quinny on rugby. OTB AM. Five past eight, time to talk rugby. Alan Quinlan, good morning. Morning, Adrian. How are you? Flying it. I went to look up your Twickenham record last night. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't one. No, there isn't really. No. I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, I know. I never, never played against England there. Um, played with Munster, Munster there, and played a, a charity match there. That's it, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, is that um, you? I am I right to say you only played England once in your career? Um, According to the stats I looked at last night, you were you came off the bench. I think in maybe two thousand and three, Lansdowne. That was the Grand Slam game. Yeah, that yeah. was it. I think. Yeah. That's um, because, like, it's. Uh, I think that people have sort of maybe over the last twenty years, right, like moved into a more of a calm space when it comes to playing England. We still want to beat them, but we're not as sort of riled up. But would that have been a big regret for you? Um, yeah, it would have. It would have, no doubt. Um, I think it's probably a regret that I didn't play more for Ireland, <laughs> uh, not just against England. Um, obviously, it's uh, it's something that um, you want to play in those big games in Twickenham. Um, and at home as well, you know. So they're they're they've always been a top side, and they're probably uh, they're they're the biggest side that that Ireland can play against. Bar you know they play the All Blacks, um, so the rivalry there is 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 phenomenal, really. And England have always been the the powerhouse, haven't they? Yeah, and and uh, we could see some of that again this weekend, of course, uh, despite form lines maybe uh, let's talk about Ireland though first of all like uh, Peter Armani obviously named Quinny um, some surprise maybe at his inclusion and I'm sure Paul O'Connell had a big say in it is it as simple as a line out operator and is going to a lot of chat about rook speed is going to impact that in a big way both in attack and defence yeah I don't I don't know if it's as simple as um, as just uh, his, his line out ability um, you mentioned Paul there there's always reasons that uh, sometimes people people don't see and coaches have hunches or they've seen stuff in training that's that's happening. And um, one of the areas that, that Ireland kind of struggled with was um, was the line-out in Paris. And it wasn't just the, you know, I think Ireland only lost two or three line-outs, um, but it was, it was the manner and the ones they won, they weren't that clean and, and cohesive and... There's one thing about Peter Romani when he goes up in the lineout, he usually wins ball very, very clean from that middle to the back of the lineout, and and that's where Ireland want to attack off, and it's the best place to to kind of get ball off to the top to launch an attack play. And um, but I think he's played very well this season for Munster. He's been superb right from the start of the season. Um, his form has been really good. Um, Andy Farrell has spoken about his leadership, so um, a little bit taken. A little bit surprised by it, um, because of Conan, Doris, and Van der Fleer, the way they played so well together in November. But there's a big impact coming off the bench, and that will be needed in Twickenham. So having Conan, Henderson, Kilcoyne, um, you know, Robbie Henshaw coming off the bench, that's what you want. You want that impact, and that's probably an area in the last couple of years that Ireland have struggled a little bit. Um, particularly in the games over in Twickenham that we've lost. Uh, so it's. I think he uh, he's obviously done enough in training to, to and in the Italian match to show that this is this is the way they want to go and um, that breakdown as well. And I think he's 
historically in the last number of years, he's caused problems for that English line-out. Mm. Um, he's got at their ball, and I think that's probably you know one or two steals can change a match in a line-out. So um, that is his big strength. And at the breakdown, I think Colin obviously is... You know, probably his big strength is his ball and hand in the wider channels. He's very quick and, and, and evasive in what he does. But um, Omani has had a big performance now because the coaches have backed him. Is there any sense that the fact that it's in Twickenham, like if it was a horses for courses selection, let's say, if let's say the game was in Dublin, would you expect Conan to play? Um, not necessarily. If you go back to 2017, as I said, when, when England came... Um, trying to win a championship and Peter O'Mahony, I think it was Jamie Heaslip pulled out and O'Mahony ended up starting and he terrorised the, the, the English line-out and ended up getting picked on the lines on the back of it and captaining the lines. So not necessarily, I think, there's probably uh, food for thought on what they're doing. Um, mm. There's no guarantee that, that that works out, but I just think he's, you know, he's world-class in that line-out and I, and I really... I really put a lot of stock in in having um, really line out intelligence there from from someone like Peter who can can get at their line out and, and frustrate them and 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 stop their flow of their ball and, and steal a couple of balls. So it, there's every chance it could have happened if he was at home as well. Um, he has a lot of leadership and he's delivered consistently for Ireland. Um, Conan's probably a better ball carrier, gets the ball in his hands more often, which you know, can be a negative if 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 we're talking about ball carrying after the game because you have to remember Ireland are down Andrew Porter and Ronan Kelleher as well, who were so prominent in, in carrying the ball in November for Ireland. So it's it's there's a little bit of risk there from a ball carrying point of view, but uh, my view is it's 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 down to really go after that 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 England set piece line out and breakdown. That question of physicality is going to be probably one of the, the first pieces of analysis after the game tomorrow. And uh, Eddie Jones has been talking about it in the build-up to the game, obviously. He says that if you look at Ireland's record, they haven't played against South Africa since 2017. We played against South Africa last year and did well in those physical stakes, so we intend to really take it to them. He went on to say that Ireland haven't played a team uh, like us before. They haven't played South Africa since 17. He said again, we play with a physicality that they haven't seen before. And I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do on Saturday. So uh, is that true, Alan? That, that Ireland just haven't seen what England are going to bring tomorrow? Well, we did beat them last year in the, the, last, the Six Nations, didn't we? In Dublin. So it's kind of... Uh, he's clutching at straws there, I think. Um, of course, it's relevant, um, that physicality. And you don't get that um, off every team, the same kind of aggression and, and power that you get from South Africa. But... Uh, it's a bit of an insult on New Zealand as well in November, isn't it? They're an incredibly physical side, New Zealand, every time you play them. So um, maybe he's saying he's the England side that came to Dublin last year weren't weren't a physical side, which a um, bit of a contradiction, to be honest. But he's just trying to get it out there that um, England are going to go after Ireland physically. They've always done that, historically. It doesn't matter. and They've had this... Kind of before last year's results, I think it was four losses we had, um, two in Twickenham, three in Twickenham and one in Dublin. One of them was a World Cup warm-up game, um, an Autumn Nations and a Six Nations game. And they were very, very dominant and stopped Ireland right on the game line. 
And you go back to 2019, Owen, that, that's where it kind of started, that bad run mm. for Ireland after an incredible 2018. England came to Dublin and um, just smashed Ireland on the game line and slowed their ball down, got in their faces. Um, Ireland's box-kicking game, they they got loads of English players back around the, the, the chasers and the, the receiver and just frustrated Ireland. Tactically, they were very good at doing that. So... You know, it is going to be a factor that physicality. They are going to try and uh, out muscle Ireland. Um, I think Otoje can be so devastating at times against teams, but that can be a weakness for him as well because he gives away so many penalties. So Matthew Reynald, the French referee, he's very, very strict. He's not afraid to give big calls away from home. Um, they've got to make sure Ireland themselves has got to make sure that they bring an intensity that's that's evident from the get go. Um, you know, they've got to win that line out, get that scrum right, make that first big tackle because, you know, in the last couple of times over in Twickenham, it's it's England have been imposing themselves and it's not a surprise that Eddie Jones is saying that and it's, it'll be no surprise to the Irish players um, and, it, and it is a small concern still. I wouldn't say a big concern. I think this team will be probably more capable of dealing with that and they're, they're in better shape Um but it is still something that would concern and worry me, that physicality that Laws, Atoje, Genge, Sinclair, you know, Tom Curry, these players can bring. Mm-hmm. Like Andy Farrell, sorry, Adrian, Andy Farrell's response to that kind of conversation is really interesting as well. Like he, he was making the point that it becomes a trap. You fall into the trap of thinking we need to be more physical. And even if you bring more physicality, your performance level actually drops off. Well, it's it's yeah, it's I think it's it's been intelligent as well about what they do. You know, Ireland at, at times have have kind of ran into brick walls off slow possession. Um, you know, it's down to the halfback Gibson Park, his kicking game, Johnny Sexton's kicking game. Um, you know, Bundyaki making those carries, getting over the game line, trying to get into that pocket where Marcus Smith is um, going after his channel, if you like, and. Um, Henry Slade that's you just kind of have to be on the front foot I think can Ireland stop their maul and their scrum of course they can but I think when when, when Ireland maul themselves they've got to be just that bit more aggressive um, and and just energetic about what they're doing and you know it, it sometimes every team goes out to be physical and to try and impose themselves in, 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 in rugby on but um, for Ireland, it's about rugby intelligence here and just doing the right thing, making good decisions and being really efficient, particularly around that breakdown, um, not getting counter-rocked. You know, sometimes we, we talk about the physicality in Paris and, and the impact of, of a really big French side. Ireland were just a little bit lacklustre at times, um, a little bit high in their application at the breakdown and got counter-rocked, particularly for that Cyril Boy try. Um, so it's just... It's just being really aware of it. Um, they won't vary away from their game plan and what they're trying to do. They'll they'll know what they want to try and do this this, this Saturday. Um, but sometimes it's just about having that little bit of doggedness and and being really really determined to get a performance and being able to roll up the sleeves and then you can play rugby. Um, if England smash Ireland early on, the crowd will get behind them. You know that's really important that England or, or Ireland try and get on the front foot early, impose themselves, get get an early score in the game and settle down and then just try and play 
there's absolutely no doubt on that this is going to be a physical game for Ireland. Um, and there's still, you know, probably those questions that Eddie Jones is raising. Can Ireland cope with that? Well, we'll know tomorrow. I think they're capable of it. Um, Porter and Keller are out of the side are, you know, that they're a loss. Those two guys are a loss. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Clive Woodward has an interesting piece in the mail this morning, Quinny, where he talks about Andy Farland, the mistake, and Mike Cat, the mistake that the RFU made in 2015 by letting them go. How made, how motivated are the two of them by going back here to... Uh, he talks about the, the strengths of the Farrell game that is now coming to fruition. Uh, Paul Schmidt, the Wigan-style uh, play almost that he's instilled with this Ireland team. How motivated will he be to go back to Twickenham and get the win? Very motivated for obvious reasons, I think. But, you know, that success and that kind of positive talk is, it can be cyclical sometimes. And, you know, if you go back you know, 14, 15 months ago, Andy Farrell, Mike Cat, these guys were under pressure here. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it, it, it happens when you're on a good run. You know, Eddie Jones is under a fair bit of pressure. Um, a lot of ex-players in England and Ireland and are saying Ireland are going to win this game. I'm very, very nervous about kind of buying into that. I think Ireland should be confident and should expect to go and win there, given the status of where their team is. But um, for Andy Farrell and my cat, yeah, going back to your 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 home country and trying to get a performance, I think it's it puts Ireland in a great position, maybe of of challenging for the Six Nations next week and mentally that the growth of this team. I think it would be really important. We've had many conversations about what happened the last time in, in 2018. It isn't a be-all and end-all. But I've said this before to start the Six Nations. What's a, a positive return for for, for Ireland? Um, well, winning the three home games and getting results in either France or, or, or England. And we've lost the France game, um, only lost by six points. There was a lot of positives to come out of that. A lot of uh, optimism to come out of, mm. of when you analyse some of the mistakes but I think this team needs a performance now tomorrow Andy Farrell needs a performance Mike Cat does and the players themselves just to to really believe that they're on the right path and they're they're building and, and a lot of the good work that they've done is doesn't come undone Will they get the result? Um, I think so um, I think it's it's going to be a very tough Tough game. It mightn't be pretty, um, but I think they're they're certainly capable of doing that, and and I would be confident that they can win there. There's there's one part of me then kind of says, well, uh, it's going to be really difficult. But I just don't think this English team is as strong as the teams that have beaten Ireland in the last couple of years over there, um, and that's the reality. And I think this Irish team is 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 probably playing better and attacking more and has has more of a spring in its step. In one word answer, Wales or France? You say I'm stupid, but I'm going to go for Wales. I think France may just come on stock. They're, they're an incredibly good side. But I just think Wales, a couple of players back, um, Jonathan Davies back at 12, even though he hasn't been playing well, Navidi, I just think they they may surprise a few people tonight. Wow, that has whetted the appetite in a big way. Come on, enjoy the games over the weekend. 
Cheers. Thanks, guys. Alan Quinn on, on the line there. That is uh, that is certainly interesting because I think that bucks the trend. I think of uh, largely the way most people are thinking about that game, particularly this weekend. Uh, but what a brilliant weekend the Six Nations rugby we have uh, we have in store. Apart from the uh, Scotland Italy match, of course, that nobody's going to bother uh, too much about. Twenty one minutes past eight. You're watching OTBAM. We still have lots to come on the show for you this morning. We've plenty of comments coming in, including uh, Owen in the last couple of minutes. Um, Darrow Tool complimenting us all in our wine coloured uh, jumpers. Uh, which when Cooney was on, I hadn't appreciated. It was a full uh, full house. Yeah, nice congratulations jumper. on your style choice. <laughs> uh, uh, Righto. Um, earlier in the week, the FAI confirmed uh, that Stephen Kenny had signed uh, a new contract. Nathan was out at Abbottstown and he caught up with him for a 15-minute chat. You can hear the full piece on the uh, OTB Football podcast feed. Interesting stuff there. Uh, here is Stephen Kenny on some of the Irish players that have been impressing so far this season. You're going to be back here next week to announce the squad for the two friendlies. A couple of players that are generating a bit of noise. Jack Byrne, who said he had a text from you at the start of the season that gave him a good boost and has had a good quality of performance in some of the Rovers games. And also Michael Obafemi, who is scoring goals, playing regularly in the championship. Those two players, are they in your thoughts or what's the current status with them? Uh, listen, I think Jack, and it's great to see Jack, but I mean, people forget he's lost a, a year a complete year of football and uh, he's gone through a very serious back operation and um, he's shown shown great tenacity and fortitude um, to endure that and get back playing um, so he's only played had a handful of games obviously I've, I've been at the Presence Cup and the league game both games against St. Pat's so he's only had a handful of games so it's soon in his rehabilitation, but nothing wrong with his quality of his passing <laughs> last week. You know, it's terrific. But um the Michael um yeah Michael is uh it's not it was two goals against <laughs> Coventry were were very impressive goals and um you know he's not really had a, a run of games at club level ever, you know. Uh, you know, a consecutive run of games between persistent hamstring injuries and just the level of competition at Southampton. So it's great that he's playing regularly and that can only help him. And uh, he seems to be and, and he seems to be enjoying his football. There's no personal issue there though from his tweet when he wasn't included back in the day. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's just a matter of Michael playing games, you know, and uh, he's starting to play now and that's good. Stephen Kenny in conversation with Nathan Murphy there after his brand new Republic of Ireland managerial contract was announced this week. It is 23 minutes past eight here with us here on OTBAM. Big weekend of Premier League action coming up. We've got Manchester United against Tottenham tomorrow at half past five, probably the pick of the fixtures. Daniel Harris is with us. Daniel, good morning to you. Hello. To start with uh, matters off the fields, uh, which will probably impact on the field eventually. Uh, Chelsea Football Club, uh, Abramovich getting sanctioned yesterday. A new dawn for football where I guess we can sleep easy at night knowing that everything is right in the world once again. Well, no, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a wake-up call for everyone, really, because it tells us what should have been known and what I'm sure a lot of people who, who were in a position to stop it from happening in the first place knew when you bought Chelsea in 2003. I, I mean, Abramovich is a bad lot. What the iteration of all the things he's done uh, is it's extremely damning that he is involved in an illegal invasion that's going to lead to the creation of two million refugees, God knows how many deaths, and 
that's who Abramovich is. And it's important that the people know and it's important that football knows because if you look at if you look at the impact of Abramovich on football, that's one thing. But if you look on at the impact of Abramovich on the world, that is an entirely different thing. And it's not just Abramovich, is it, who is involved very significantly webbed up in football, but is involved in some absolutely dreadful behaviour the rest of the time. When you consider what the knock-on impact of this might be in the rest of the Premier League and the rest of, of English football, are, are, do you feel any sense of hope that this actually will be a watershed moment? Um, there's always hope because there just there has to be. If there's no hope, then what else have we got? But it seems unlikely that having waved through the Saudi takeover of Newcastle just a couple of months ago, they're, just, they're suddenly going to say, well, actually, we're not having that anymore. They're not going to do that in Manchester City either. I mean, this is a Tory government. They're not about to start requisitioning private property in favour of the people, I don't think. I mean, in Tracy Crouch's review, there was something about a golden share that supporters would have that would give them the decision-making decision making power, but no one's currently talking about that. And um, it may be that they're not talking about it because at the moment there's an illegal war going on. It may just be that and we'll get to it, but it doesn't feel that that's the kind of thing that they're going to start making a big deal out of. But I might be wrong. I think we had this conversation, or we touched on this conversation with you last week, Daniel, about the sense of fans taking back ownership of football. It, just in the context of, of Chelsea alone, is there an opportunity for, for fans to, to, to finally get back control of a club that obviously they were almost ha- happy to lose and, and happy to have uh, a, a billionaire oligarch run the club for the last little while? But can, can this turn into uh, a, a, a greater connection once again between Chelsea and its fans? It's possible. I mean, the Chelsea Supporters Trust and Chelsea Pitch Owners are quite well-organised, long-standing bodies. I think it probably depends what, what they want to fight for. Um, they may they may make a big deal out of the fact that Abramovich is no longer their owner. And, I mean, I saw the opening post by the Chelsea Supporters Trust that pretty much said that, that it's not fair on the supporters uh, because all this uncertainty. And ultimately, at this point, the supporters are not really the height of anyone's concern, nor should they be. Chelsea supporters have had, what, 20-odd years of ridiculous success as a consequence of absolutely revoltingly dirty money. So the fact that that has now come back to bite them, you have to, at some level, take the rough with the smooth. However, football, football supporters should not be placed in this position of having to be the moral arbiters of who should and shouldn't own their club because it's not them who's in charge of actually making sure that happens. So in a sense, I feel for Chelsea supporters, but I'm not sure how many of them have really asked themselves any of the difficult questions about Abramovich. There's been no opposition to Abramovich. There's been no campaign to educate people about who Abramovich is. There's just been, my experience of it anyway, is just people waving notes about, singing about how rich they are, singing about how poor other people are, singing about Abramovich over the minute silence to Ukraine, singing a minute's applause to Ukraine, singing about Abramovich last night when we've been told that he's involved in helping in helping an illegal invasion take place. So at that level, it's not that easy to feel a great deal of sympathy with Chelsea supporters, but perhaps there are some who take a slightly more mature approach to this than my team gets to dance around with silver pots, therefore he is a hero. 
it is the battle of the good guys on Sunday. It's Chelsea against Newcastle at uh, two o'clock in the Premier League. It does feel a little bit insignificant talking about some of uh, the other uh, events in the football world. But if you can just bring it back to Wednesday night, Daniel, and this is in the Manchester United context, the, the, the Paris Saint-Germain collapse against Real Madrid. Feel free to put your United hat on. Uh, how much of it were you looking at Maurizio Pochettino saying to yourself, listen, I'm not sure about this guy's Manchester United manager, or is that a way too reactionary response to, to one game? I mean, you can always you can always look at things however you want to find them. And I, I, I honestly I don't know about Pochettino. He did a really good job at Southampton. He did an unbelievable job at, at Tottenham. PSG, the players aren't quite right for him, I think. But at the same time, you do wonder if there was something very specific about the circumstances he found at Spurs, the players that he had, the way he interacted with them, that just kind of made him the right man to be in that place at that time. And we don't know that he'd be the right man in the right place at United. As far as the game itself went, they were playing pretty well till Donnarumma chucked one in. So you could exonerate him from blame for what went on there. But at the same time, they're not. They are top of the league in France, but there have been some really poor performances. Um, so you could say that that's on him or you could say well he doesn't have a squad that suits the way he wants to play football and the players bottled that once he'd already sent them out onto the pitch Um, the bottom line is that no one knows for sure who the right next manager of United is it could be him and what I like about him is the fact that he's got the kind of personality not just that consumes things but that brings people together and that is something that United need and I definitely think he's got that I see more of that in him than I see in Ten Hag and more than that probably than I see in Luis Enrique either who's probably another decent candidate but at the same time you think well is he just not quite as good as Klopp and Guardiola in their generation you're trying to find the best guy in the next generation that isn't him I no, no one knows the answer to this question. Various people have tried to answer this question various times since 2013, and they've got it judderingly wrong every time. And it's not, it's not science. If it was science, it would just be quite, quite well, go and get this person. But there are very few, few sure things in football management, and the two that there are have been taken by Manchester City and Liverpool. So you have to find someone who is a gamble and to me I would always try and gamble on the person I thought had the highest upside rather than the person who felt most least likely to be a failure Tied into that obviously is the man who's there at the minute and I was watching back the um, Gary Neville Mika Richards exchange on Sky last night Daniel and a Gary Neville talking about the uh, Ralph Ragnick has actually been on an information gathering mission was his exact phrase at the minute um, looking at structures and people at the club and then in a way that he can pass that on to the next manager if that is actually true that is one of the worst decisions surely that in in a litany of bad decisions that Manchester United have made to make the manager the guy who's also effectively auditing the club uh, I don't think so I think that they basically the, the the board basically wrote off this season. Anything they could get out of the season was a bonus. And by sticking in someone who's going to be staying there, he was now in a great position to tell the next manager who's worth keeping and who isn't worth keeping what the squad needs. Can I Whereas just? Can I? You, sorry, Daniel, to interrupt you. Can I just say on that point? I mean, I could tell the club which players need to be kept and which don't. I don't need to be the manager of the club to do that. Really? You think that your judgment is as good as the judgment of Ralph Rangnick, who's training with the players every day, who's interacting with the players every day, who's watching the team from the touchline, who has the background in football that he has? I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think 
that he knows more about football than I do. So putting him in that position is a better move than putting me in that position. And yeah, we can all go, well, Lingard's got to go, Martial's got to go. But it's also it, more... Is, su- isn't, isn't, isn't it that straightforward? Are we not complicating it? And I, I was obviously exaggerating the point to say that I could do it. The point being that he could do it without having to be the manager of the club. Uh, I, 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 maybe. But if you parachute someone in, right, if someone comes in at the beginning of pre-season... They're not. They're going to want to look at the players. They're going to want to see the players in pre-season and see how they want to play and who they want to get rid of and who they want to keep. And maybe a particular player comes back and they impress in training or not. And having someone there gathering information beforehand, who's going to be involved in the appointment of the next guy and who what plays football in the way that the club has decided that they want to play. I I don't see that. That's a, I I can see that. It's a bit like having a supply teacher in terms of what happens between now and the end of the season that the players probably don't think, well, this guy is going to control my future, even though he is going to be involved in that. They don't have to do what he says because they're now set in the pattern of, well, if you don't like this manager, it doesn't matter. There'll be another one along in a minute. Mm. And they're now set in that pattern. So you can, I can see how that would be a downside, but I don't see that, that someone who understands football on a pretty high technical level we'll be sitting there thinking, well, we need this kind of profile of midfielder to combine with the profile of midfielders that we've already got. Because when we play, this is how we're going to play in the future. And I think that in order to make those judgments, someone who understands and who's a, who's, who's a significant thinker about the game is quite useful. It, 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 sorry, one more on it. Just if it is the case, right, that he is that bridge, he's that auditor, he's passing that information on, don't all managers, and like if Pochettino comes in, let's say hypothetically, don't all managers at that level pride themselves on the fact that I can come into that club and I can actually actively impact on the likes of Marcus Rashford, who's been entirely cut adrift from the Ranić plans. But Pochettino comes in and says, actually, I can take that guy and I can make him world class again. I think that that would that'll, that'll be in everyone's interests. Um, I think that I don't think that Rangnick was going to say, well, just hoof Rashford out of there because everyone knows that there's a player in there and there's something at the moment that, that isn't quite right. So I don't think that the next manager is going to come in and just be ordered what to do by Rangnick. And if the next bloke come, comes in and says, yeah, I've decided that Rashford's rubbish, get rid of him without taking a look at him, that would be an alarm bell for me because we know that Rashford's a player. I don't think it's that. I think it's being able to recommend because you've already done your research, essentially, being able to recommend the players to keep, the players to, the players you want to stay, the profile of players that you want to replace the players that leave with, the profile of players that you want to sign, and then you're in a position to start researching those, to start setting up deals with those, for the next guy to come in and say yes or no. doesn't always work. Um, David Moyes came in and didn't want Thiago. Um, Van Gaal came in and Moyes had set up a deal for Tony Kroos. Van Gaal went and signed Ander Herrera instead. It doesn't always work like that. It hasn't worked like that for United. But I guess what you hope is the guy that you appoint to succeed Rangnick is someone with a similar vision of football to Rangnick. And then he's able to pass over the intel. But ultimately, it will be the new guy who makes the decisions and he'll stand or fall by those decisions that he makes. But having access to this intelligence from someone like Rangnick, who is respected in the world of football thinking and football tactics and is personable and straight and honest, I don't see that that's a bad thing. If Randick is going to be involved in the appointment of the new manager and makes a, an educated a piece of advice uh, on behalf of the, the new manager, should he not be going to Amsterdam and going to Paris to talk to Ten Hag and talk to Pochettino and watch their teams play? Uh, I, yes. I mean, he's got quite a big job in terms of the season at the moment. 
And I don't know what the division of Labour is in that aspect. I think that Ralph Rangnick suddenly turning up at, at, at Schiphol would not be the way that they would go about it because we know how the press are and we know what would then happen. Doesn't that uh, prove I don't... the absurdity of the whole thing? What's the absurdity, sorry? The fact that this guy is currently manager of, of Manchester United and is already locked in in an advisor role. Post that. Why, is that abs- Why is that absurd? Because as I say, it, as you pointed out there, the way the media would go, if he actually went and spoke to these guys, went and watched their training sessions, went and watched their matches, it would be completely unbecoming of a football manager, which he currently is. Right, but who, who, who would it not be unbecoming? If suddenly Darren Fletcher and John Murtis turn up at Skippole, it would be the same thing. That when there's, this is no different, really, to when any club appoints a manager. You gather intelli- you gather inte- as much intelligence on them as you can. You speak to people around them. You speak to them. And then, then you make a decision. And that'll be what's going on right now. And you can't criticise... You know, I mean, you can. You can criticise United for not having football people making football decisions. Now United have football people making football decisions. So what, who, how, how would you go about this? I, I, I'm confused. No, I'm just making the point that this guy, if he is advisor for Manchester United, that makes perfect sense. And he can go in his uh, in his less taxing role, and let's put it that way, as in day-to-day. You're not on the training ground. You're not coaching a team to, to, to manage Spurs this weekend. You're not playing midweek football. You can then be free to make uh, a kind of a distant decision, a, a kind of a necessarily distant decision to actually say, listen, I, I'm going to put in the work here to find a successor to the manager, whereas he might be a little bit bogged down with the day-to-day work and I guess he's focused on Manchester United this weekend against Tottenham rather than worried about the succession plan to himself. Yeah, that's right. But finding the next manager isn't just his job. It's part like it's partly his job, but it's mainly the people who are going to carry the can if he goes wrong are going to be Darren Fletcher and John Murphy. It's, it's it's their job to find a new manager. Rang Rangnick is part of that, but it won't be him that has responsibility because it's not him that has the final call. So yeah, he's preparing the team and he'll be feeding back saying, this is what the team needs. And I'm sure he'll be giving his opinion. But in terms of actually going to find the guy, that won't be him. When it comes to tomorrow night then, it's a half-life kickoff, as I mentioned, Manchester United against Tottenham. Do you think that the sort of tough love from Antonio Conte is beginning to work? Do you think that you're starting to see signs that this thing may actually last well into next season and beyond? Um, maybe. I mean, Conte's an excellent manager and he's got some good players. Uh, the players that he bought seem to have settled in quite well. Kulisevsky's doing well, Benson Kerr's doing well and he's played. Um, and obviously he already had Harry Kane and Son. So that's that's the basis of something not bad. So um, we know that we know that Conte is good and we know that he's got good players. They got that brilliant result at City, which I think sort of seems to have inspired them. Then they got the perfect the perfect game last week against Everton, which is like kind of the game that everyone wants at the moment. And I think the United Spurs game will be a good game because if United play the way they played in the first half against City, then that will be a level that might see them take go in front of Tottenham because that was they played they played pretty well. And that's the thing with this United team is they have good performances in them. The problem is their response to adversity, whether it's adversity at the beginning of the game when they got spooked before in the Atletico Madrid game and couldn't, couldn't pass the ball to each other for the first 45 minutes or so, first 55 minutes or so. Or when things go against them, like it happened, that happened against Burnley. They played really well against Burnley. They went ahead. Then Burnley had five minutes of pressure. They scored. And United weren't in the game for 20 minutes. And we know that they're capable of that because we keep seeing it over and over again. So it really does depend. You don't know what's going to happen. And I think that 
that is mainly reflective of the players rather than reflective of the manager because we saw it a lot under Ole as well where they wouldn't they wouldn't turn up in the first half and they'd managed to rescue themselves in the second half this is a there's a pre-existing thing and it feels like this squad is going to need some reinforcement not just with better players but with strong characters too because something needs to be done about the frequency of the collapses yeah, and on that song, strong characters bit, the uh, battle over the captaincy is, seems to have been uh, one of the narratives of the last while. And one of those that's in the race for it uh, took an unsha- unsanctioned uh, reports are to be believed unsanctioned trip to Portugal that he's not going to be hauled over the coals about. And we don't know the context last weekend. Was he injured? Was he left out of the team and threw his toys out of the pram? Um, is he is he still good enough? despite all of his legacy and everything he is in terms of football, is he still good enough to play for Manchester United? Uh, not at the moment. It's, it's interesting and strange, actually, how the decline has gone, because bottom line is, if you said to me, was Ronaldo a bad signing? I'd probably have to say, apart from if we take away the reasons that you wouldn't want to sign Ronaldo for nothing, reasons that have nothing to do with football. If you said to me, was Ronaldo a good signing? I think I'd probably ultimately say yes, because without him... United would be out of the Champions League now and wouldn't be preparing for a game against Atletico that they have a decent chance of winning, I think. And with him, they'd still be doing badly in the league. Uh, I don't think he'll be at United next season. I don't think we're going to see much of him playing for the rest of this season because he's been absolutely dreadful for the last couple of months. And now that even the finishing seems to have gone, he's of very limited use. The problem that United have, obviously, is that they don't have Mason Greenwood. Marcus Rashford is... No idea what's going on with him. They don't have Martial, so they're and Cavani's never fit. So they're lacking they're lacking strikers. But I think that the time has come to move on from Ronaldo, and I think that the manager knows that because he's playing terribly. Any other player would have been dropped quite some time ago. And he's not probably going to be around next season. So if you're looking at United now and you're effectively they're hoping that they come forth, they're hoping that they do something in Europe, but really like they need to try and be better than this next season. Seems unlikely Ronaldo is going to be part of that. The problem is the aggravation, the media attention, the fuss you get if you drop him. But I my guess would be that last um, last Sunday was a dropping and I don't think we're going to see that much of him between now and the end of the season now. Right, well, uh, that will be an interesting watch for sure, given his reaction to last weekend. Daniel Harris, thanks a million. See everyone, bye, have a good week. Daniel Harris on the line there to uh, talk all things United and uh, Ralph Ranick and um, plenty of reaction to that conversation. Obviously, uh, strongly held views on all sides about the uh, incumbent. Um, it's uh, I don't know. I'm not buying it. I just think that I did watch rewatch the uh, debate last night. I thought Gary Neville, who I would have, uh, as everybody else on the planet who's ever watched a game of football, uh, have. Um, strong views about how good he is. He's a brilliant pundit and has done wondrous things for watching football. But I just thought he was um, very dismissive of Mika Richards, who I thought was making really good points about the shambles that this has become. I I think that I would, uh, as you got from the tone of the debate, I would just disagree with Daniel's points about this being the right thing for Manchester United. In fact, like, you know, you probably have a lot of players there at the minute who've, because he's doing such a bad job as a manager, have turned against Ralph Rangnick now. And he's the guy who's holding the keys to their future. This whole thing is just entirely illogical. It's, it is it is bonkers. There, there, there's not much not much form for this. It's like, uh, it's like a person on the way to become a political advisor gets a job as Taoiseach. 
and that's their training to become a political advisor. It just seems cart before horse in every sense. Um, and I think from what we've heard, he's going to do a brilliant job in his next role. But uh, he doesn't seem to be doing an amazing job in, in this role. And I just wonder, is, is, there, is, is he eating into time with his role that he's going to have this summer? By doing the job that he's doing now on a purely on, on a purely basic level. Now, in fairness, the the, obvious, the other side to that, that debate, as we heard there, is is that you know he's still figuring this whole thing out and uh, short term pain for long term Ranyik gain. Oh, I don't know. I, you could argue that he's like the last person that should be reporting on this thing, given what he's doing. Like the players are looking at this guy going, he's stinking the joint out. They're, look, at players do that anyway, right? They're like, nothing to do with me, pal. This lad over here doesn't know what he's doing and that's why I've become a terrible player who can't score goals. Players are going to do that anyway. But the context here is that he's now hanging around the club to go, you know, like, yeah, we want to keep you and no, we don't want... Like, it's just... I don't know. It's an awful mess. I, they're too far into it to actually do anything about it. It's the difficulty. The embarrassment of the ego... Uh, that would be the blow to the ego of the club of Manchester United. This would be if they were to somehow reverse out of this entire crazy situation. Um, I think would be too much almost. It's gone too far. Like they'll they'll salvage some modicum of ego out of it and they'll come out and puff out their chest and fix their shirt and say, no, listen, that all worked exactly like we had uh, hoped it wa- hope it would in a couple of years when Ronaldo was gone and they've shuffled Ranić off to be a scout in some far-flung uh, area and uh, you know Pochettino is winning Champions Leagues and they'll say oh, this is all work exactly like we had planned but we all will know we'll all know yeah well um, I think there's a lot of people who still who still hold hope for what might happen over the next little while a big summer coming up right oh time for the newspapers there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. Now, pal, it's a quarter to nine. It's Friday morning. Here's what's happening across the back pages and indeed on OTVSports.com for you this morning. Uh, leading the way is the main story, obviously, in relation to Chelsea Football Club. I can't see how the club can survive. Philippe Clare, football writer, was on with Nathan last night and there is considered thoughts about um, and uh, concerning thoughts for the future of uh, one of the world's biggest football clubs. Uh, he was one of my heroes, John Giles, paying tribute to um, Frank O'Farrell. Um, who's passed away over recent weeks uh, three requesting that uh, their logo can be taken off um, Chelsea jerseys and I noted that both um, men's and women's teams who were in action last night both still had it I don't know was it just that they couldn't get enough kit together which would sort of surprise me um, but that was the way it went last night and uh, then obviously plenty more up there and plenty of build up to the rugby as well this weekend that's what's happening on OTBsports.com for you this morning uh, let's tell you what's happening across the back pages of the newspapers after that the Irish Times to begin with here uh, rugby all the way Farrell pays no heed to Jones' mind games uh, is the story there is a picture of Peter Romani in action uh, from a couple of weeks ago bigger hopes to shut down DuPont and Intmac don't the world, Dan. Uh, don't the world. And O'Mahony praises Farrell's great learning environment. And sure, why wouldn't he? He's in the 15 for the weekend. Uh, the Irish Independent. I was never worried. I had a clear vision, insists Stephen Kenny, who's just signed a new deal with the Republic of Ireland. Farrell dismissing intriguing mind games as Jones ups the ante, right? Sir Rory O'Connor there. And Chelsea. Uh, Blues cruise, but off field problems loom. Havertz and Mount after that 3 1 win over the Mighty Norwich last night. Irish Daily Mail. Take it to them. Uh, we will hunt Ireland down, Vaz Jones. 
um, and a picture of Chelsea showing uh, Chelsea's show of strength on Dave Turmoil. Uh, they say inside in football there and Kenny's New Ireland deal has an exit clause is um, it has an exit clause writes Philip Quinn I, that seems like an unusual um, angle on a very positive story you think that probably uh, people feel generally about it uh, Roman Runes uh, Chelsea being Norwich last night Ireland can be stronger Stephen Kenny admitting uh, that Ireland must improve uh, writes Paul Lennon on um, another Positive day for Irish football with Stephen Kenny signing up. Duo on alert as Potch faces the axe uh, as uh, Manchester United swoop for a sacked manager. And um, Kelly saying that boxing, Kelly Harrington saying that boxing can get back at the Olympics if we're all patient post its uh, current exclusion for, what is it, 2028? Uh, the Times of London, Chelsea's warning we could go bust. Abramovich sanctioned over links to Putin. Uh, it's a story inside by many of their senior writers and stars rally with that win at Norwich. It's a team that's also taken up on the Daily Telegraph this morning. Abramovich sanctions uh, blow triggers a three-way fight to take over at Chelsea. And you think that's the quickest route out, isn't it? That they could get the club sold as quickly as possible and um, and move on from there. Uh, Chelsea uh, on the Mur this morning. More reflections on that, including a story inside Connolly. The lack of goals is a real worry. Was the thing that we touched on a bit earlier on the Sun. And by the way, that Chelsea story is leading the way on most of the front and back pages, uh, particularly of the red tops this morning. Kiss, Chelsea could do uh, business on the pitch as Tuchel is happy to stay. And uh, goodbye there. Roman has 81 days to save the club and plenty more as well inside uh, the paper uh, this morning. That's the Sun. And uh, they are are really the story that's going on across the back pages for you this morning. Uh, It's 10 to 9 on this Friday morning. We still have a live crappy quiz coming your way a little bit later on. Jer is currently doing his stretches outside the studio, uh, as is Phil. And uh, then I'll be Paddy last, as we know. But we'll uh, we'll all that to come your way. Live crappy quiz in a few moments' time and uh, a few other bits and pieces as well. But uh, before all of that, we're going to Across, uh, to London next to chat to Ashling O'Reilly she is covering England Ireland at Twickenham for us tomorrow afternoon somehow has ended up at London GEA training session last night here's Ashling with the London uh, boss Michael Marr Michael Marr the London GEA manager we're here in Grasshoppers Rugby Club and this is where you train most evenings with the London Gaelic football team yeah this is our base uh, midweek it's a wonderful facility as you can see we've got an excellent 3G rugby pitch we've accessed the gym inside um, <laughs> Yeah, do yeah. No, we have to wait for um, eight o'clock start on a Thursday because it's their juniors' night. But um, no, it's a wonderful facility. We're we're delighted to be able to train here. The London hurlers train here as well. So this is the base. You don't have to sort of look around for other pitches. You get to come here each and every evening. Yeah, this is us on a Tuesday and Thursday or Friday night. um, And then at the weekends, we'd go to whatever football pitch is available. A few years ago, we were on the grass pitches here and they got waterlogged and we were like looking around for different pitches and training in four or five different places so this year we, we said we'd stick with the 3G pitch here and we, we were kind of guaranteed we'd be here every night and um, it's been a huge reason in the consistency that we've had in performances this year And what does a typical week look like for a London GA player? Uh, boys will be in the gym Monday so we've access to Harrow School gym on a Monday night and then we'd be here on a Tuesday um, if we're travelling at the weekend we train on a Thursday night if we're not travelling we train on a Friday night and then obviously this week Saturday Sunday we'll be away from home and fly out from Stansfield on Saturday and back on Sunday night so kind of this week the lads are giving five days of their week to, to London football which is a huge commitment but um, look one which one which they're all delighted to be given at the moment
And London is a very big place, so I'm getting to see that myself, trying to get Ubers here tonight. How does that work for the lads when they're coming from work, I'm sure? Uh, they have their own lives, they have all different professions, they probably don't understand GA as well. How does all that work for getting here? Yeah, look, it's very tough, and we, we as a management have to be very understanding. Like, one big thing here, there might be times when lads just can't get out of work on time to get to football because their employers don't know. Like, one of the lads tonight has got a school open evening. We'd like them here at 7 to be doing some work in the gym before coming on the field, but he's got an open evening. He's having to get an Uber to get to training for an 8 o'clock start. So small things like that, we just have to look. We manage it, um, and we un- we understand it. I think that's the one big thing about us. As long as the players are, are honest and upfront with us, we, we understand it. But the travel is a huge, huge thing like for lads here to travel. 25 miles can take two, two and a half hours in rush hour sometimes. I think James Hines, who was on off the ball before that night, he did the interview. He he was actually late to training, so he got a bit of stick for that. But that just showed like he was delayed 10 minutes getting out of the office and it took him the guts of three hours to get to training instead of what might have usually only been two and a half. So there is a lot of travel involved, but at the same time, look, it's a, it's a real privilege for each and every one of us to be involved with London and um, you just accept it. Yeah, Michael Mara talking to Ashley O'Reilly. Morning, Ash. How are you doing? And Adrian, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. Was that rice lip? No, it wasn't. Um, so it's a Grasshopper's Rugby Club in Isleworth. So okay. it's about yeah, about an hour or so outside of London. Okay, very good. And um, what's the like? It's one of the stories, and it's a big reason why you were down there, obviously last night, and obviously the little matter of the rugby tomorrow. Um, it's one of the stories of the year and the GA the GA season. What is the Wexford loss burst the bubble a little bit, or is there still a lot of um, enthusiasm down there? Oh, big time. Yeah, there's a really good buzz. Like, even speaking to Michael, like, I asked him, like, what is the aim this year? Like, you've mm. obviously got three wins now. Um, you know, is it promotion? Like, what is it? And he's like, no, we're not looking past the next game. But you can really feel the buzz among the lads. Like, when I'm speaking to them, like, even I was speaking to one of the homegrown players, Sean Hickey, and he, he was just saying that, you know, it's great to be winning. We never won with London. We won nothing. And he said, we're winning now. It's amazing. So you definitely can feel it. And there's something different happening this year. Like uh, anyone that I spoke to, they said the intensity of training is completely different, that they've never, ever seen it to that intensity before. Um, so it, there's definitely something happening. It's really exciting and delighted for them because they had a couple of tough years with, with COVID and it halted everything. Michael only came in in 2020. Everything was halted, but he stuck with them and he's really changed things and even the way they speak about him is really nice to see as well so uh, yeah it's in a good place definitely Are there many out and out Londoners or is it is it mainly expat? No well I think that's the difference as well this year they have 10 uh, homegrown players on the panel and there's more that are on the junior team is actually completely homegrown and some of those lads are filtering through you could see them there as well last night um, training away beside them and they are filtering through the team and then there's 10 that are on the panel at the moment. So he said it's it's never, ever going to be completely homegrown. He says he doesn't see it to ever be like that in, in London, but that at the moment it's in a good place that there is a certain number of them that are in there. And some of them are the best players. Like I spoke with a, a, a lad from down, uh, Ronan Sloan, it's from Addy Call, and he said that the best players on the team are the London-born players um, and they'd be lost without them. So yeah, it's, it's in a really good state and I think it's important that you have those homegrown players coming through. Like it's a uh, any um, exiled team is it's slightly bizarre dynamic in the sense that like if you had any other county around the country that isn't one of the top three or four or five teams where you've got three wins in the bounce they have who do they have Carl uh, Leitrim Carlo Waterford uh, accounted for there'd be that uplift in interest in 
a participation in chat about the team streets would be a buzz with it local media would be a buzz with it it's much harder in places like London or New York or Auckland in that the uh, the buzz about it tends to exist within the camp to a degree yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't become as pervasive it's hard to no. get that uplift it's hard to have a legacy out of it isn't it like when it's when it's that dynamic yeah, that you mentioned that actually. Um, Roland Sloan from Down, he said to me that he was buzzing going into school. He's a teacher and he was buzzing going in after they had three wins in a row. And he was went in and he was expecting, you know, people to be saying it to him. And he's like, you know, we, we won three in a row. And they were like, oh, yeah, you, you won a game. You know, like they just didn't ex- they didn't know what it meant. They hadn't a clue. He said that some of them don't actually even would be familiar with DA. So he was like, yeah, I was, I was completely brought straight back down to earth, like uh, one nothing sort of thing. But he said he doesn't care. Like he, they were really thankful that I came there last night. You know, they were like, oh, it's great to be doing interviews and great to be getting the publicity sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I think uh, definitely there's a buzz here, uh, like at a home in Ireland for them. That's what I was trying to tell them. I was like, definitely people know about London GA that never knew about London GA. But uh, yeah, over there, it's uh, so many sports. Like, as you see, they're at a rugby ground last night and there was so many different rugby teams there alongside them. So, yeah, they don't get as much um, publicity for, for what they're doing at the moment. Yeah, definitely one of the stories of the year so far. I hope it continues a little bit. Who else were you, Who else did you catch up with last night? Yeah, I also I spoke with uh, Kit Manfield Roach. He's originally from Wexford and he's involved in the GAO out in London since uh, 1967. Phil Roach, a Wexford man, and you're the kit man here of London GA. How long have you been involved here, Phil? Since 1967, so I came over. Um, how did you end up over in London? I came over on a holiday and I ended up staying. And you got involved with the London GA? I, well, I got involved with the Father Murphy's first, which was all Wexford club that time, we were all Wexford. And then 20 years later, then we went to Open. We were all Wexford one time, holding the football in. And you obviously see a lot of players coming and going here in I've London. I've seen a lot, but this is a great bunch of lads. We all enjoyed our 2013. Uh, we had a great, we got the kind of final. First time ever, that was a terrific year. But the players we have now have passed them. For two years, no games, and then we come on then and we had a, you know, a great reports of the players and great turn up for players. I mean, it's very hard for London players. They leave the house in the morning at past six mm-hmm. and they go and do a day's work and they come back here two, three nights a week training, don't get home till 11 o'clock at night. So it is very difficult in London. Mm-hmm. But they've all told we have 13 of the panel we had two years ago, and we got another 20 all in. So, very good panel, I think. And this year you've had three wins so far. Three wins, and three wins, we're going well, we didn't expect to start off so quick, you know. Yeah. Anyway, three great wins, good games, only points are two winner. Yeah, that is uh, Ashing chatting to the London Kitman at uh, the at training last night, and that uh, it's just such an interesting journey. And we, as Ashing said a bit earlier, uh, and it was a theme that was picked up in the football pod actually this week, just about that idea of profile and how important it is to players to be noticed for their achievements. And uh, we definitely wanted to tip the cap to that. So uh, good work on that, Ashing, and the, the full chat will be available up on the OTBGA podcast feed and up on our YouTube channel as well. We have to talk about the other one, obviously, at the weekend where the many uh, fans with the leprechaun hats on the plane yesterday? Um, there was one or two, but not too many, I suppose, because I came over on the Thursday. There wasn't as many. I'm coming out today around the city, so hopefully I will see a lot more. But even at the training last night, because it was a rugby, um, 
club. You know, there was a lot of Irish there. I could actually, I heard a man, he was training the team and I was like, that's definitely a Limerick accent. And mm. I went over and was chatting to him and they were all buzzing, you know, for the game. And even some of his players, they're, they're English born players. Some of them have Irish parents and, or some sort of a, maybe a Nana Grandad from Ireland. And they were all cheering for Ireland. They were like, they, we hope they beat them now. And I was like, geez, you not get a lot of stick now, you know, going into school or whatever that you're cheering for Ireland. They're like, yeah, we get stick until they win and then it's all good. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. uh, there was a great buzz amongst them. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to go out around London today and, uh, and meet some of the fans and supporters. So if anyone knows of the best places to go, definitely let me know because it's a, it's a big place, which I'm gathering to see. <laughs> And you're you're uh, you'll be out around Twickenham early tomorrow, soaking up the atmosphere. And um, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, I was saying to the show earlier, it is definitely one of the. I think it's the best Six Nations experience in the sense that Twickenham itself and the area around just tends to get totally overrun by people going to the game and chatting about the game. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Have you been? Because I obviously haven't. So I don't know what to expect. And when I went to Stade de France for the, the Paris in Paris for the France game, like I was blown away of how big they done it mm. and the atmosphere and all of that compared to the Aviva, to be honest, it was just another level. So you've obviously been to Twickenham. So it's uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but covered a load of games out there. Um, st- I think the first one I was saying to earlier on, I think the first one might have been the 2004 game, which it was a, which was a sensational match to have been at at all. Mm-hmm. Never mind your first Twickenham experience. And maybe that's... Uh, positively coloured my experience of it but it definitely is that thing actually where you go out and there's it's the second you step off the train you'll see the people, the fans as you start to come out of London more and more fans with all the colours on them getting on the train as you get out and by the time you get to uh, Twickenham or whatever the local station is you're you're off the train and it's just everybody there is going to the match and you're corralled across a couple of roundabouts and down the streets in towards the ground and on the way down the hot dog sellers are out in their front gardens and the beer sellers <laughs> and the hats and scarves and there's only one thing on everybody's mind and the whole experience going in there and the pomp of like it's the word that we associate with England generally but the pomp that exists around Twickenham uh, on match day down there it, it is absolutely something special you're going to love it oh, I can't wait I hope I have the same experience and we get the win and it'll be a brilliant day altogether but I hope we do I'm quietly confident that um, this is our chance at Twickenham we haven't got a great record but I hope now with the, the form the lads are in and a bit of a few changes, six changes in total to the start of 15. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting to see how they'll go. Yeah, can't wait. And looking forward to your coverage across the, uh, today and across the weekend as well. Ashing, thanks a million. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks a lot. Ashing O'Reilly on the line there from London ahead of the uh, rugby tomorrow. And you can uh, stay tuned to all of Ashing's coverage across our social channels and on radio as well. Uh, this evening and again tomorrow you're watching O2 AM it's just gone 9 o'clock it's Friday morning we're brought to you by Gillette uh, Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day it is uh, 3 minutes past 9 uh, uh, we've a live crappy quiz coming your way in just a couple of moments time so stand by for that we're also going to talk about the New Ireland jersey uh, that's been launched this morning but as always on a Thursday night John Giles with Nathan uh, last night talking football here he is on the state of things at Everton Jamie Carragher was extremely critical of well, the entire Everton defence, in particular Seamus Coleman, after the game on Monday night, he said they were, you know, championship standard. Do you look at that back four for Everton and think actually quality-wise they are championship standard? Well, I, I watched the match and I didn't think uh, Seamus Coleman was, was 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 any worse any bad any worse than anybody else. I mean, the goalkeeper had a terrible time, mm. and he's a bit of a flipping hag banger. Every time if somebody makes a mistake, he's or he has to make a save. He's up shouting at the defenders and all that. Instead of getting on with the game. He, and he didn't do it. He didn't do his stuff for them the other night. He was not the only one. I mean, they were very poor. Uh, Spurs were good. 
But I don't, I don't think Spurs have to be that good to, to um, do what they did to Everton. So Frank has a big job there. There's no doubt, uh, uh, Nathan. It is uh, four minutes past nine. That's John Giles. The full chat available uh, from his conversation with Nathan last night. Just check out the OTB Football Podcast feed or indeed our YouTube channel as well. Like, share, comment on it when you're there because uh, that helps with the good stuff. Right, speaking of the good stuff, there's a new Republic of Ireland jersey being uh, launched this morning. Jonathan Courtney, as is becoming tradition now, Jonathan, on a Friday morning and uh, when these things happen, is joins us uh, from JACC Sports who are behind uh, this latest uh, jersey. Morning to you, Johnny. Morning, how's it going? Good. Um, I think we can give our viewers a look at um, a glimpse of what this new jersey looks like. We'll put that up on screen in a minute. Will you tell us a little bit? You can see it there now. Tell us uh, a little bit about the story behind how it's come together. Sure, yeah. Um, well, look, the way we looked at this um, kit cycle for kind of the home and away and even the centenary jersey that we did last year, the blue one, um, everything was looked at through the lens of its CFAI centenary. So we wanted to do some authentic kind of things that uh, related back to Ireland. Obviously, the blue was um, self-explanatory, and we've, we've discussed that one before, our first kit that we ever mm. wore. We brought the orange back for the first time in 25 years as an integral part of the colour of the flag. And now for, for the 2022 home kit, um, the way we tried to look at it was, what can we do to do something kind of uniquely Irish? So the pattern in the jersey is effectively taken from the way you see the fields of Ireland when you fly in over the country. So we were kind of going, you know, it's been two years, let's say, since uh, people have probably been able to travel home. Um, this was this was when we were starting the design process. Uh, we were It was kind of two years, people away, people away from the stadium. Um, and we wanted to incorporate that 40 shades of green piece alongside, uh, I suppose, the, um, the unsymmetrical kind of shapes of the fields of Ireland. So there's nothing, it's not like uh, when you fly in over Holland and you've rows and rows of flowers and it's all very straight and lined up. So we wanted to give that kind of broken um, feel, to, uh, uh, feel to the whole uh, aesthetic of the jersey. So that's kind of where it came from. And because of the way the jersey is now cut, every single jersey will be unique. So there's a, there's a one big overall pattern, but because you're cutting it um, into, into, different, um, into different sizes and, and embroidering you know, the, the badges and the Umbra logos and stuff in different places, the, every single jersey will actually be different, which is uh, a first in terms of an Irish shirt. That's great. And what I know we chatted you the last time, but when you've obviously you do shoots with the players and stuff, did you get a chance to get any feedback from the players on it? We, we just the way the timings fell this time, we actually didn't do a right. shoot with the players. So, um, you know, the, the jersey is launching in time for St. Patrick's Day, effectively, is what, what we've tried to do here. And uh, there hasn't been an international match since last November, so there hasn't been a squad. Uh, basically, basically here in the Castleknock Hotel or whatever to uh, to try and get that done yet. So actually, the, the the jersey will be worn, the kit I should say will be worn for the first time um, in that centenary, the official centenary game against Belgium in uh, in the Aviva in March, and then the the women's team will wear it away to Sweden in the qualifier in uh, April. You mentioned the timeline over there. Is it? It's normally sort of it's fifteen months right since the last home jersey, but you, we would normally have something sort of once every twelve months. Um, yeah, like, I mean, it does vary. It depends on, on certain things, uh, fixture cycles and bits and pieces like that. But generally speaking, uh, you're, you're not far off. Generally speaking, a home kit runs somewhere around 18 months and the away kit will change every year. That's that's more or less in line with what everybody else does these days. It's kind of, uh, it's, it's to be expected from an international kit rotation, if you like. We've obviously had one extra kit effectively in there uh, recently, which was the which was the blue kit. But I mean, that was obviously done for a very specific reason when you're celebrating mm. centenary. 
the blue kit is going to haunt you for the rest of your life in that people are going to be constantly saying, when is the blue kit coming back? Bring back the blue kit. Yeah, we've we've certainly had a lot of that. I mean, uh, people people kind of bombard you on Twitter and stuff like that saying, <laughs> oh, I, I missed out on it and blah, blah, blah. All, all I can say is, look, we, we kind of did plenty of advertising. We let everyone know that it was going to be a limited edition. And uh, when it's limited, it's not really fair to the people who did go out and buy them to just run another, I think, batch, if you like. So um, that number, I think, was it was it was 2,000 or so we did. And uh, uh, the lucky 2,000 who have them, have them. And I don't think many will be letting them go at this point because they yeah. have already become a kind of collector's item if you can if you can find one. Run another batch is what the audience are saying this morning, Jack. <laughs> More or less. I can predict the comments that are going to come in. Run another batch. Um, and we, we were chatting before as well about, I, and I know that you were very bullish at that time talking about it. And why wouldn't you be? You've been designing, uh, uh, Jack Sports have been designing Ireland jerseys for uh, donkey's years. So why wouldn't you be bullish about it? But at the same time, the sort of trepidation of looking at the FAI handle this morning to see what the public reaction is going to be. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think I've kind of alluded to this before. I, I don't think uh, worrying about what people say online uh, about a football shirt is, is what would get you up in the morning. It would probably keep you in bed in the morning, find anything else. Um, but I, I, I was just thinking about it. I, I thought you might say something along those lines. My, I, I basically packed my daughter off to school, eight-year-old daughter off to school, wearing blue and yellow this morning and having a fundraiser for Ukraine. So... I'm finding it hard to correlate worrying about uh, a few online trolls comments about a football jersey uh, when there's a lot bigger things going on in the world to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. And they'll always have something to say about it and it's a nice jersey. Were you worried in any way about like it's not uh, it's certainly not the same or anything like it as the rugby uh, jersey that's in the same sort of design. Was there any concern about that or is that just we, we- Obviously, we were aware. I know the one you're talking about. It was there was an RFU jersey about three, what I, I think, three years ago ish. Yeah. Um, they they kind of now their pattern obviously uh, although on the face of it there's there's a bit of similarity if you look at it they they kind of use triangles and they use black uh, a lot of black in that shirt uh, whereas obviously we're trying to use the uh, the Irish colours and we're using something that's uh, and this is obviously in no way a criticism of if you don't mean it that way they were using some sort of triangular patterns geometric shapes and stuff mm. we're using uh, basically the Irish landscape so although on the face of it it may seem like there's some similarities there it's absolutely not and we weren't in any way inspired by what they did or anything like that we took it uh, at face value as I said on on trying to um, give that capture that feeling I suppose that uh, the Irish diaspora or, or even people who live here who feel when they see Ireland from above as they as they fly back into uh, into the country and, and see that kind of unique 40 shades of green landscape yeah, no, it's a lovely shirt and I'm sure it'll be well received as well. Um, and we might just lash it up there for our viewers to have another look at it as well before we wrap. It's, uh, it's a nice piece of kit. There we go. And um, you'll be able to get your hands on it, Johnny, I presume, available. If people want to get their hands on it, when is it available? Is it good to go? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually it's available from, from 9 o'clock this morning um, on faishop.com and in Elvery Sports. So that's where it will be available for, for most people to go out and see it. And, and as I said, it'll be worn for the first time by the men against Belgium and the women against Sweden. And uh, the jersey, I, I was talking to the to producers there yesterday. So what I'm going to do... Um, we, we mocked up a jersey there, the very first jersey. It was the original sample that came in, which is kind of hanging up behind me there. And um, we stuck a 22 on the front of that, the sleeve badges on. And it actually has the fixture for Ukraine, uh, which is slated for the 4th of June. Now, obviously, as, as it stands, nobody knows whether that fixture will, will go ahead or not. Um, obviously, everybody hoping that it will. Uh, but I'm going to raffle that uh, jersey effectively. I'm just going to do it through my own... Um, 
through my own Twitter, which is at Johnny Courtney. I'm going to stick that up now in a few minutes. And I'm going to try and do a fundraiser for the Red Cross for Ukraine. So um, we appreciate any uh, any bids or any anybody who might want to bid on that shirt, which will be uh, a unique piece of kit as the first uh, off the production line, so to speak. That's a brilliant gesture, Johnny. As you say, people can go onto your Twitter handle and the Red Cross in Ukraine will be, that money will be going directly into helping people affected by the uh, attack on the country. And uh, it's, as Johnny said, a lo- it is a lovely jersey. It's an extra spe- special piece of kit for the reasons that Johnny has mentioned. We're going to put your uh, Twitter handle off our own social media account so people can easily access it. And I presume you'll put some sort of a time lim- limit on it, but we'd like people to jump on there, uh, get involved, make a big bid way over the odds the money is going to an amazing uh, an amazing cause so get involved with it uh, and as Johnny said at Johnny Courtney on Twitter is the place to go we will put that um, link up on our own Twitter account Johnny Courtney Managing Director of Jack Sports thanks a million for joining us thanks guys cheers good man that's uh, Johnny Courtney and it's a brand new jersey and he said it's available uh, just in the last 10 or 12 minutes so that's uh, that is that it's 13 minutes past 9 here's what's coming up on OTP Sports Radio over the course of the morning the football kickoff. Um, with Sky I'll be coming away in just over an hour's time Ger and uh, friends Mark Nicard for the fixtures over the weekend Emmanuel Petit will be the subject of O2B Gold from 1 o'clock live Friday night racing uh, 3 o'clock this afternoon on our social channels uh, Mark Quigley uh, League of Ireland legend from Team 33 at 4 at 6 the life and times of Johnny Caban and then at 7 uh, off the ball will be live on your radio right uh, up next this morning it's a live crappy quiz Chris Martin oh you're kidding September Kyle Lafferty. Are you no! joking me? Is that right? I know! Is that right? Uh, anybody else? Like, that is one of the most stupid questions. Darius Vassell? Seriously, you all need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome along to the shoutiest segment on Irish radio. It's the scintillating, it's the stupefying, it's the crappy quiz. Every Friday, we pit three of Team Off the Ball up against each other in our no-holes-barred quiz-sporting factoids at the end of the week. Allow me to welcome today's contestants. Our first contestant is one hot takeaway for moving on to the Kildare Wikipedia list of notable people. Move over, St. Bridget. Your ice-cold opinions on Ralph Raniak are finally going to see you shunted. Give it up for Ger Gilroy. Hey, hello, Owen. How are you? It's funny Very well. You lost it already in the intro, but go on. I, I lost what in the intro? Well, you were, you were already smugly smiling away at your own gags. It's like, it's very endearing, Owen. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, our next contestant, meanwhile, the has smell of the list parts. of notable uh, Kildare people etched into his mind like Arya Stark. One by one, he will destroy them as he continues his hateful path of destruction through Ireland's most inoffensive county. Give it up for Adrian, who's your daddy, Barry. That'd be another good Bond Rushmore. What is Ireland's reverse order, Ireland's most inoffensive county? Leitrim, I'd say, is top of the list, is it? Nobody has a bad word to say about Leitrim. <laughs> Does anybody have a good word? <laughs> ah, yeah, plenty. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm enjoying Owen's sort of detachment from the quiz in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, you're phoning this not in. Here, not here in any in spirit or body. Uh, our last contestant today <laughs> is the Ross Kemp of Team OTB, the Jason Statham of Team OTB, the John Joe Shelby of Team OTB. That's right. These people all share a love of football. Give it up for <laughs> Phil the Power Egan. Yeah, just list all the bald men. Uh, you're very welcome. As ever, the <laughs> format is the. <laughs> Well, well, carry on, carry on. 
I can't. I, all I can see is Phil on my screen here. I can't. Uh, I can't see the two. The two lads at the table. But I hope you're having a good time. Uh, the format is a classic crappy quiz with a series of questions on a range of themes. Then it's onto the slip and slide of trivia, which is the rapid fire round. You can podcast crappy quiz on otbsports.com or on the OTB Sports app. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to click the thumbs up. And if you have any questions, you can send them in via postcard to Crappy Quiz Quizmaster off the ball towers, Marconi House, Diggs Lane, Dublin Two. Uh, round one is the boring questions round that is never multiple choice. Sure. Uh, can you name the most recent non-Irish person to win top jockey or top trainer at the Cheltenham Festival? That's uh, a good question. From the host. I'm going to say... To you tonight from the host Friday Night Racing. I'm going to say, yeah, but it's Irish racing that we cover. Uh, so I'm going to say Paul Nichols. Not correct. Nicky Henderson was the last trainer. Nico de Boinville, the last jockey. So uh, either of those would have done. Uh, Adrian, question one for you. What is the name of the trophy that is handed out to the winner of the Ireland and England Six Nations match every year? The Six Nations match. So Mr. Rugby with his wine and cheese. <laughs> Possibly the greatest answer to a rugby question of all time. Oh, it's going to be something wanky. Oh, someone's going to have to beat that. He said swanky, didn't he? He did. I don't think WA, <laughs> I don't think that word is a... Oh, it's beepable. Um, come on, what are you thinking? Yeah, come on. It's S- going to be like... Spit it out. <laughs> it's 18 minutes past nine. We want to get out of here by half nine. Oh, I'm going to go with Bill Bowman's arse trophy. <laughs> the Millennium Trophy. The Millennium Trophy is correct. Well, like I said. I mean, come on, it's pretty, it's a, it's a piece it's of wood. absolutely wanky. Uh, Phil. Um, they named the stadium after it. And then renamed it. I wasn't sure if you were talking about Bill Bowman's arse or the Millennium <laughs> Trophy there for a second. <laughs> Phil, uh, can you name the three clubs with the longest current stints in the top flight of Scottish football? <laughs> Scottish football. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is. I'd already started right going there. through. I started going through the Premier League clubs, but uh, Scottish football is so the longest stints. Okay, um, I'm going to say Celtic. Yeah, I'm going to say Aberdeen. Yeah, one more. One more. That's pretty impressive. Okay, who are so the Premier League teams? It's not. Um, okay, Hibs. No, they went down. Hearts have been down as well. Um, Kilmarnock? No. Motherwell. Ah, mother of... It's great effort. It's pretty good. Yeah, hit, hit the post. post. Yeah. Uh, who, who are the Premier League? It's uh, Everton. Well, Everton have never been relegated until this season. Arsenal? <laughs> Arsenal and... I don't know. Uh, is it Liverpool? I assume it's Liverpool, yeah. Because United obviously went down. Yeah. Liverpool were down in the 60s. Oh, so there could be somebody else. It's unlikely, though. West Ham, we'll, uh, West Ham went down. Put that in as a question for you, Ger, next week. <laughs> round two is the Champions League Stadia round. Shout no, out no, once no. again to Rory Dillon, uh, who sent in this round, uh, who sent in a different round a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we finally found room for one of these rounds as well that we had to shunt out last week. So, Rory Dillon, thank you for all the questions you sent in. Ger, question two for you. Uh, this year's Champions League final has been moved away from St. Petersburg, but what is the name of that stadium that it was moved away from? Ooh. The Lizniki. No. 
to anyone? Well, I mean, it's been renamed to the Gazprom Stadium. Yeah, Gazprom Arena. Adrian, what is the name of Atletico Madrid's stadium? And I was told to give this question to you. Come on. That I one I might I don't know why you were told I've to give been, me that question. I've been in that one. It's slightly bizarre. Come on. Jer's yeah. been in it. Oh, I was only... I got to know it. Yeah, that's why. The Atletico Madrid R Stadium. Yeah. Like, if... <laughs> yeah. Phil Bowman. If, if in doubt, if in doubt, go at the Allianz Arena. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> There's like 14 of them. Uh statistically around Europe okay interesting uh, it's the Wanda Metropolitano yeah, Stadium of course it is you course knew that is. why did why, yeah. Phil only two clubs have won a Champions League title in their home country name one. Oh, this isn't a stadium question it's also a lot easier especially with the multiple with, uh, choice take that up with Rory Dillon. come on Rory God's sake um, Never multiple oh, choice. God. It would have been a lot easier if Bayern had beaten Chelsea in 2012. Uh, oh, Nathan Murphy style, sort of. Yeah. everything I know. Good man. Yeah. How long are we are we putting a timer on this one? Like a 30 seconds? Sorry. So two two clubs have won in their own country. Yeah. Can you give me one of them, please, quickly? Put us out of our misery. We're at 35 seconds now. I mean, <laughs> come on. I think we'd have to give him a thanks for coming in. I'm, I'm struggling here. Mine's gone blank. Put me out of Pass. Yeah. Oof. Phil Egan passing on questions. I've this never is, uh, no man United. United. No, Borussia Dortmund in Munich in '97, and Juventus won in 1996 in Rome. Ah, yeah. Wow. Jeez, I don't think I've ever seen that before, Phil. Yeah, well, Jonas, you know I've realised we've got to get out of here, so. Well, we should acknowledge. No, let's acknowledge. Let's linger on that. Yeah, I was only wasting people's time. Round three is. Which you've worked it out eventually. I was trying to go through back, but I forgot. Well, I remember obviously Dortmund winning, but I I didn't remember where it was. Yeah, Yeah. it was in the Olympic Stadium, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. The Allianz Arena. You're saying it was in Munich, right? So obviously it wasn't the Olympic Stadium. I have a vague recollection of it looking like the Olympic Stadium, but in Berlin, which obviously it wasn't. So there you go. Uh, round three is the past the parcel of doom round the intro of this is has been criticised as being too long so go back to last week's crappy quiz or the one before it was the week before the, I mean, the last week uh, you, you ran through sure. this and then blame me for it go on sure question three is for you to start off uh, can you name an Ireland rugby player with 50 caps or more 50 caps or more Brian O'Driscoll is correct it goes to who will go to the next stage um, Paul O'Connell yeah Phil uh, Keane Healy yeah Ron Nogara uh, yes okay. yeah that's obviously correct uh, <laughs> that's I, I'm, I'm controlling F on my dock here just to n- knock them off so we'll talk to them oh sorry we'll go to who will we go to next Adrian. Malcolm O'Kelly Malcolm O'Kelly is probably correct ah come Oof. on he he's got 90, 90, he, he definitely has but I mean if you're not going to of course he has Phil John Hayes yeah uh, I'm going to go Conor Murray Conor Murray oh, this is crazy. he's on his this computer he's on his I'm computer sure. every week I'm doing every the same thing you are computer. yeah but it doesn't matter you got a pen and paper you got a pen and paper uh, beside move you on, move on come on Adrian Stringer like, oh, I, look, he's I'm waiting for you I'm waiting for you on what's he waiting for me keep going Phil 
Johnny Sexton. Yeah. Peter Manny. Peter Manny. Correct. 77 caps for Peter Manny. Jamie Heaslip. Jamie Heaslip. Keith Earls. Keith Earls. Rory Best. Rory Best, yeah. 123 caps. Adrian. Gordon Darcy. Gordon Darcy, yeah. Rob Carney. Rob Carney. Correct, 95. Sure. Wow. Donegal Callahan. Yeah, correct, 94 caps. We've got all of the top 14 uh, caps winners of Ireland at this point. David Humphreys. Correct, 72 caps for David Humphreys. Come on. Load, load more to go. Uh, David Wallace. Correct. In 20th place. Back to Ger. Simon Easterby. Yeah, correct. Shane Horgan. Correct. Gervin Dempsey. Gervin Dempsey is correct. A few, a few more obvious ones before it starts getting tricky, lads. This one's tricky. Keith Wood. Correct. Oh, 58. Oh, 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 good man, Keith. Uh, Devin Toner. He's Googling this. I'll get on with it. Correct. 70 caps for Devin Toner. Phil. Jerry Flannery. Not correct. Oh. No Jerry Flannery. Sorry. Phil is out. Back to Jer. Uh, I am going to say... I am going to say... Like an absolute, uh, of course, I can think of them all now. Michael Bradley. Michael Bradley is not correct. Oh, 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 oh. That was a bit out there, Ger. That was a bit out there. The remaining ones that you didn't get. Aki, I would have gone Aki Henshaw Foley after that. When you that said was... Michael. I was like Mike Ross. Well, Mike. you're just lucky by your joy, because you would have got knocked out straight away. Good man. That's the way uh, to do it. Aki is not there. Uh, the remaining ones in this. James Ryan of caps. Uh, Jordan Murphy with seventy-two. Sean Cronin with seventy-two. Owen Redden, Kevin Mags, Andrew Trimble, Mike Sean Cronin, your buddy. Bo, uh, Marcus Horan, Ian Henderson, Willie John McBride, Anthony Foley, Dennis Hickey, Fergus Slattery, Hickey. Mike Ross, Paddy Johns, Philip Orr, Dennis Leamy, Brendan Mullen, Sean O'Brien, Jack McGrath, Tom Kiernan, The Claw, Donald Lenehan, Claw, Robbie Claw. Henshaw, Moss Keane, Tyke Furlong, and CJ Stander. Oh, CJ's 50th. 50th. Yeah. That was a big deal. Okay. James Ryan hasn't got 50. Are you sure? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Irrelevant now, lads. Point Adrian, in the bag. you're off the mark. First person to score a point in this week's quiz. The rest of these pass passes won't be as long, uh, mercifully. Adrian, can you lead us off on this one? Can you name a driver on the grid for this year's Formula 1 season? No. Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> what did you call him last time? Valtteri. Yeah, well, he's been called several things on this item. Uh, next up is Phil. Uh, Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel is correct. Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, he um, certainly drives Formula 1 cars. Oh, English guy, young fella. 
George. Uh, Oh, Mickey, Mike, Mickey, Mick Schumacher. Mick Schumacher is correct. And Mickey Schumacher, hi, hi. Phil. Um, Max Verstappen. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I'm out. You can't think of any more? I can't. Um, I hope okay. he hasn't already been said. Adrian. Um, Spassian Vettel. He has been said. You're out. Phil gets the point. That was a Who's gimme. The George, what's his name? Are you thinking of Lando Norris? Russell. Lando Norris. No, you're thinking of George Russell, maybe. George Russell, is he a driver? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, he's an English guy. Uh, Alex Albon, Fernando Alonso, Pierre Gasly, uh, Nicholas Latifi, Charles Leclerc, uh, Kevin Magnussen, Lando Norris, Esteban Ocon, Sergio Perez, Daniel Ricciardo, George Russell, Chico. Carlos Sainz, sure. Lance Stroll, Sergio Perez. Yuki Tsunoda, and Guan Yu Zhu. Oh, I should have got the Spanish dude. What's his name? Alonso. Yes. It's a, he's a bit like Allianz Arena if in doubt say Alonso and you'd be, you'd be there right. was like that whole decade he retired and then came back <laughs> Phil Egan Heinz Harald Frentzen I mean I could have done I could have done those Heinz Harald Frentzen could have done Phil the 90s finest. Bertrand Gacho can, can you name a team that has ever won the UEFA Cup or the Europa League oh for God's sake uh, UEFA or so we go Liverpool Liverpool is correct we're going to adjourn next Sevilla yep Porto. Correct. Villarreal. Correct. Yeah. Sure. Roma. Roma is not there. No, Roma have not won the Europa League. Uh, didn't Chelsea win it one year? Is that your answer? Yeah. No. Yeah, correct. No. Oh. It is. Yeah, Rafa. Yeah. Uh, Zenit. I thought you were confusing Zenith. with the Fairs Cup. Adrian? Uh, go with... Um, what did you say earlier, Phil? What German team did you say? No, no, you can't. Don't oh, come on. There's loads left. I actually didn't say... Did you not? <laughs> come on. Dortmund. Dortmund is correct, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Manchester Phil. United. United have won us, yeah. Um, when did Dortmund win it? I don't know, but did they play in their home country, I wonder? <laughs> Juventus win it? They did. Phil? See, it can be UEFA and Europa League. Yeah. Galatasaray? Correct. Adrian? Atletico? Yes, that's correct. Going strong here. <laughs> Um, I think right. Italian. They won the UEFA Cup in 1993 and 2002, Dortmund. Um, Inter Milan. Is correct. Adrian. Mm. Go with. Lazio win it. No. Phil gets the point. The remaining teams were Ajax, Anderlecht, Bayer Leverkusen, Seska Moscow, Eintracht Frankfurt, Feyenoord, Gothenburg, Ipswich, Napoli, Parma, PSV, Real Madrid, Schalke, Shakhtar, Tottenham, 
and Valencia. I talked another, about that and I was doubting myself. Another oh. classic renewal of the past and parcel of Doom round. I was sure you, you'll agree. <laughs> uh, it is Phil 2, Adrian 1, Jeronil. You're doing very well. Round 4 is the fun free magic number round. Contestants get 3 points. We're getting the number spot on. If no one manages that, the nearest contestant who doesn't go bust gets 2 points. The second closest gets 1 point. So I'm going to say that we can only accept the answer that's written on your paper. And I'm also going to have to ask for your pens once the music ends. So if you don't mind, give us the following number. The number of games Italy have ever won in the Six Nations. Shout out once again to Greg Hall for getting in touch with that one. Plus the number of games Stephen Kenny has won so far as Ireland manager. Plus the number of times Ireland have beaten England this century in Twickenham. Plus the number of Premier League goals that Cristiano Ronaldo has scored this season. Your 30 seconds expire when Sinatra sings bright shiny beats. So the total number of games Italy have ever won in the Six Nations. The number of games Stephen Kenny has won in his time as Republic of Ireland manager. The number of times Ireland has beaten England this century at Twickenham. And the number of Premier League goals Cristiano Ronaldo has scored this season. Bill got the pen down. It's confidence. Oh, That's what like right now, but... I've got the pen down. Don't worry about that. Please, your pen for sure. What have you got? 17. 17. Adrian? 27. 27, Phil? 21. Adrian gets two points. Phil gets one point. The answer is 29. I'm it. So, let's go through these. Wow, lads. Uh, Italy, all I can say, wow. Italy have uh, have won uh, 12 Six Nations games. What? Stephen Kenny That's has wrong, won four. They've not won 12 Six Nations games, have they? I had seven. I had two. <laughs> I had five, <laughs> to be fair. I've something So, hang on. Wait, 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 I mean, they, they, they would occasionally... Oh, they beat France once, didn't they? They'd be a good pass the parcel round. Scots. The teams Italy have beaten. They beat Welsh, couple, they they beat beat Welsh a couple of times, yeah. Did they beat the Welsh? I think they beat more than, them more than once? Yeah. Ah, that's what you, you know do in Welsh. Welsh. Sure, you know the Welsh. I do know the Welsh. Um, so, sorry. Yeah, the What's 12 wins in total. 12 wins. Yeah. And the answer is 27. I was 10 out. 29. Um, I got it. All Stephen Kenny's won four matches. Uh, England have been beaten four times by Ireland in the 20th century, and Ronaldo has scored nine goals this oh. Premier League season. Uh, we are on to the final. Our winner tonight will be decided in the round that separates the men from the boys. Starting reverse I order. I gotta go. I just, I just, <laughs> no particular, ridiculous, easy, rapid fire round. Starting in reverse order, obviously. No, no it's yeah. going to be it's going to be Adrian no, then Phil then No, Adrian. Adrian and Phil are tied at three points, but I feel more sorry for Adrian, so he's going to go first. <laughs> I'd really rather to... put Phil in, but go on, we might as well, let's take it on. This is ridiculous. You take it so on. You get, if you get a question correct, I'll ask, ask you another question. I'll keep asking you questions until you get one wrong, and then we move on to the next person, and your wrong answer means a deduction of one point. So, as I say, Adrian, Phil, Jer is the order. Adrian, are you ready? I am. Your 40 seconds starts now. Who is the 2021 US Tennis Open, uh, US Open Women's Champion? Um, Serena and Radicandu. No, Radicandu. Joey and Doe played for what country, Phil? Cameroon. Correct. What is the third tier of the hurling championship called? Larry Marr. No, it's Christy Ring. In what country is Jack Wilshere's new club based, sure? Iceland. No, Denmark. What championship club does Jimmy Dunn play for, Adrian? Wigan. QPR. No, QPR. <laughs> True or false, Meath Hill will play in the Meath Senior Football Championship in 2022, Phil. <laughs> Has to be false. Correct. Name the only intercounty GEA ground in the country named after a woman. Ah. Well, depending on uh, what YouTube clip you're looking at. What's it? What's it called? Markovich Park. Correct. Just about, Phil. 
I could have said rapid fire doesn't win it for you, but that is the winning question. If you got that wrong, uh, you wouldn't have uh, won it. It would have been a well, tie break. But, but fortunately but for you, hang Phil, on a second. He's oh. given an answer after the buzzer. Yeah, but Magnus from like Magnus long after the buzzer. Long after the buzzer. I did sorry, actually, no, it, sorry, no, actually, he, he actually had its own up. That's uh, what I I misread my... my I was going to make a case there on the basis of trying to, you know, elbow <laughs> my... Phil Egan, congratulations. Nice. Good man, Phil. What do you have to say for yourself? Uh, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, congratulations, Phil. <laughs> Great speech. Uh, Adrian, sure, thank you for taking Thanks for coming in. Screw <laughs> OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. This weekend and off the ball, we are live from one o'clock tomorrow afternoon with a specially extended show as we bring you all the football, a Cheltenham Saturday panel and everything from England, Ireland and the Six Nations on air till seven o'clock. And then Sunday is one to seven as well. Live Premier League commentary of Chelsea against Newcastle and Arsenal against Leicester. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.